Welcome to the Nightbird Radio Podcast. I'm Timothy Saylor, and I'm going to be your host this evening as we sound out the subconscious, navigate the nocturnal, and explore the farthest reaches of our experience. Coming at you from the back of an 86 Dodge Ram van on the rolling foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in the Great Forest, deep in the heart of the Kali Yuga. This is Radio for the Hauntological Turn. And welcome back, Nightbirds. It's great to have you back, and it's great to be back. Today, I'm joined by Matt Boisvert, and we're going to play. What are we going to do? We're going to do some... Um... Well, so what I kind of envisioned here was, um, was you know, I, I think if you listened to the last time when I was on, I think I mentioned my whole philosophy of hoo-ha, uh, which is kind of taking conspiracy theory back uh, many years ago, I just got sick of the whole, cause I mean, the whole term itself is, you know, purposefully made to make people look like crazy people. Yeah. It was created by the uh, CIA around the assassination of Kennedy, right? Yeah. Uh, MK ultra, I believe as well was another big one and which, you know, all of those things were pretty much proven. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so we started calling it, um, me and some buddies of mine, we started calling it hoo-ha because it kind of implied, I think a bit more about, um, what it's about so it's like you know we're digging we're we're connecting dots where there's dots to be connected and sometimes it's just for entertainment you know get whatever gives you the chills or makes you go ooh. and sometimes it just makes you laugh your ass off so we just started you know calling it hoo-ha instead and i thought what we could do is sort of like i want to take myself back you know um i'm going to say about 12 12 to 15 years you know pre 2012 kind of stuff when you know people were still taping videotapes of videotapes and having illegal burns of, of dvds and then you know you're getting together and you're all like smoking a little pot and you're like let's watch some crazy hoo-ha shit and, and then discuss it afterwards yeah um, like when you first watched um i think when i first watched like um loose change and zeitgeist yeah. was kind of yeah. like the end of that I think that oh, we actually I don't know that we had those on 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 even on disc. I think we still that was on like a USB drive or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I saw some I saw some weirdo ones cuz we just all got really good at collecting them and finding them in strange places and used, you know, books and and VHS and so you'd get these garbled VHS tapes that have like, you know, uh, little bits of uh, white noise that go through it every once in a while because it's an old warped. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, the alien autopsy. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and like I remember, like my dad had that. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad is definitely one of the the major reasons that I am this way. <laughs> <laughs> Even as a little kid, uh, you know, we'd we'd watch things. Uh, Unsolved mysteries was one of the big ones, right? And I still get if I think of the theme song. Yeah, goosebumps all down my arm. But we would watch 
uh, stuff like that together. And a lot of the other family would bail to go do other things. And then dad and I would sit and we'd talk about these weird things, even though I was quite young. But I think he was just happy that there was someone else in the house to <laughs> discuss oh, yeah. this stuff with. But I'm not going to do because a lot of these videos that we used to sit through back, you know, back in, in before 2012, when we all had patience in the before um, times in the before times, uh, you know, and these were like four and a half hour videos, like every time it was like, like two hour lecture that some guys giving some video clips that are really poorly. There CGI'd. does seem to be <laughs> quite a correlation between conspiracy enthusiast and long windedness. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, I, I love think, them. Like, have you I ever watched has to be, um, um, Dan Aykroyd talk about UFOs? Oh, well, you know, his family is in, was in it from the, he comes from a family of occultists who actually, when the spiritualist movement was going on, uh, in like the early 1900s and stuff, his family got really, really involved in it and in researching it. He's actually got an amazing book. I say amazing. He's uh, great. Well, I love it. it like, was, it he's okay. really like, <laughs> Like, oh, wait, you are your character from Ghostbusters. This is amazing. He, he like, is, I'm so what, glad that this is who you are. That's what you kind of get out of that book is like a lot of the things he was saying and talking about were things that he was hearing as a kid, like um, the Ghostbuster building stuff. Like, oh, they never built it like that. Yeah, it was that was stuff that they were. It was a fad, uh, you know, and he definitely heard his parents talking about it. You know, later on, the the Winnipeg Ledge building is built like that. I remember. I think I oh, might cool. have talked about that on the last episode. But uh, I remember waking up and it was on CBC Radio because uh, it was like the loudest thing, and I just needed something loud to wake me up. And I ended up just lying there and listening to it because it was talking about they had this guy on talking about how the Winnipeg Ledge building had thirteen stairs in every hallway, thirteen lights. It's got Hermes on the top, and he has oh, a. Man. Uh, I can't remember the symbols that are on his ankle and stuff. And it's just, a, it's literally the Ghostbusters building. Like they never made them like this and they never, made, they never made them like this again. Um, but I, I went to apply to job there once and I got lost a bunch of times and it was a real vibey, vibey place. Nice. Kind of a trickster. I mean, it's got Hermes on the top, so that makes right a lot of sense. Uh, so anyways, um, one of the, big rules of when you're in hoo-ha is that like we talked about the four hour videos and stuff that's there's it's ego driven so there's there's always about 40 to 60 percent ego in there automatically that you yeah. got to kind of sift through and, and take out and so what i've done today is i i, I kind of just let the the universal breadcrumbs guide me and i had sort of a starting place that i went from and then videos kind of came to me and then they sort of linked to the next thing. And I actually nice. got one one plopped right in my inbox. And I was like, oh, hey, that's perfect for this. So this is completely universe-driven conversation we're going to have today where we will listen to some clips of some people talking about different stuff. And uh, and then I, I kind of I just want to talk, like, what's your opinion on this kind of thing, right? Like, oh, yeah. uh, I miss those days of just uh, everything's so hustle and bustle. And, you know, I got to... A child now and stuff and there's not a lot of room for a bunch of bachelors sitting around in a in a dodge van right and <laughs> yeah, also I, I like the idea of just like um which is becoming more and more like a relic of a bygone age of what's your opinion on this with no um front loading and no bot like 
as little bias as possible. Like there's some things that I'm probably going to say, this is bullshit that yeah, I hope so that, <laughs> that listeners may get, um, may get a little upset about, or perhaps uptight about. And I have my things too, like that. You know what I mean? That, that if you were to say it was bullshit, I'd be like, Oh wait, this is close to my, this is close to the heart for me. But I think that the exercise is important, especially in this day and age uh, where we're increasingly unable to speak about things without garnering some kind of extreme reaction. Mm-hmm. We're just hanging out and talking about uh, hoo-ha. Damn, you know, we really should have gotten the um, the Al Pacino um, yeah. hoo-ha, yeah. <laughs> the scent of a woman thing. Scent of a woman. I just want to push com- a button. Completely unreal. I know, right? I wanted to make some uh, some sound clips for the different levels because we always we would always sort of jokingly classify things from code green, which is you can tell this to anybody. Code yellow or or amber, right? Which sounds spookier. Code amber, where you're like, oh, maybe some people. Code red, where you're like, okay, you got to suss the people out and then be like, hey. You heard about Mothman <laughs> or Code Brown, Man. which is Code Holy Shit. And I kind of wanted to have sirens <laughs> and stuff, but I... Uh, oh, we'll do that for next time. We can, we yeah, can figure that out. Yeah, it'll be fun. Because I, I would like love it. to do this every, you know, every once in a while, seasonally or something. Yeah. Yeah, to check I, the pulse. One thing I was going to mention um, before, I've had like a week of sinks. I, scorpions keep appearing everywhere. I live in Canada. So if listeners, if you don't, we don't really have a lot of scorpions here. We do have some in Alberta where I live, but not in the area where I live right now. And I have just been seeing, I saw them like in a sucker, a client I had had a tattoo of it uh, on uh, the wrist. And then uh, Mel was playing a video game the other day and I looked over and she was catching like a Pokemon, like scorpion thing. Uh, and then today, kid at uh, at my teaching preschool, you know, kids like, hey, check out my shoes, and it's got scorpion on it again. So it's like, ooh, just like a bunch of. Little I encountered a scorpion thing. in a video game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been playing Daggerfall. Oh, Elder yes. Scrolls Two. Nice. Yeah, I... some good '90s dungeon crawler that makes you want to like tear your eyeballs out. I've lost most of my last week to um, Zelda, but I mean that's mm, very good the kind of a standard thing for me yeah no so that's, that's what's up. speaking of sinks the one thing i wanted to mention before we you know get in here is um another thing along the same lines as conspiracy theory hoo-ha sort of re- taking it back um is the rabbit holding you know when people talk about yeah and it, if you've ever done it like once once you go online when you just have to get these videos and you can only really process one a night you know, it wasn't as bad, but then once you, the internet really got going with YouTube and stuff, rabbit holing kind of really became a thing where you would just get sucked in and go from video to video to video. Yeah. Like quantum um, rabbit holing. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't actually really like the term because it's all about, you know, it implies being underground in a labyrinth of, you know, tunnels and there's like a sort of a stress that's sort of applied to it and everything. And I think more along the lines of seeing a thread and uh and pulling on it mm, i like the pulling all, of the thread pulling on the thread because it's all connected which i really started thinking about a lot more when my wife started learning how to knit yes i'm because, weaving i'm weaving together yeah, something exactly and this morning as i was driving my uh my child to daycare i uh was thinking about this dream i had many years ago actually it was uh, you know i totally have a date in here too let me uh, <laughs> 
it's going to be like 2000 and oh, 2015. Yeah. Oh, 2017. Um, anyway, so I had this dream and in it, uh, there was a whole bunch of weird stuff going on. Uh, there was like holy statues outside and there was this big thing going on and someone spilled ink on me. Uh, and then suddenly uh, this guy said he was calling on Avalon to guide and protect me. And this is one of those dreams where like I have crazy dreams, but this is one that like sometimes they stick out mm-hmm. as being it's like I didn't create. The, I'm like big walking, dreams walking. Yeah, big dreams. That's a great way of saying it. I'm walking into a realm, an established realm rather than something that you know, is coming from my day-to-day experiences. Uh, And then he spilled ink on me. And then suddenly there was this large woven rug on the floor. uh, And he he was lighting small flames in a circle around it. And other people were walking across it um, and even playing with his stuff, but it didn't phase him or affect his ritual. It was like, fine. Uh, And then this woman appeared and she began to, you know, have a conversation with me about magic and the term witch. Uh, and she called him a witch. And I said, I didn't really like the term. And she just smiled at me and told me, you know, it is what you do with it. <laughs> uh, and she seemed very nice. And then I realized afterwards that it was um, it was Avalon. So this this woman that I met in this dream of this ritual in front of this big, uh, elaborate, woven, hand-woven rug uh, was Avalon. And then I remember looking it up shortly after. And there was association associations between... Um, Avalon, like the term Avalon and uh, like tapestry, like woven tapestry, which all just really fits in to everything that's been going on uh, or everything that I have sort of prepared for today. And then as I was thinking about this this morning, I'm sitting at I'm sitting at a light waiting for it to change and a bus turns left and literally on the side of the bus in the lights, it says Avalon as I'm mm, thinking about this. And I, was like, nice. I, didn't, I did not even realize we had an area in in our city named Avalon. Um, so I've just been having sinks like that. And once I started clipping, it was the same sort of thing. It, like, I love the Avalon stuff too. I love the Arthurian um, uh, yeah. legends. And, you know, as a sort of um, kind of a whisper of a lost religion too, um, right? Because a lot of that is holdover from you know, from before the Romans mm-hmm. uh, in Britain. Oh. So like, you get that. And so, like, I remember as a kid just loving those stories. And that that's one of those ones that for me was like, I love these stories. I wish they could be real. You know, I want Merlin and Arthur and all them to be real. And then later on, you kind of learn, like, well, it is. It is real. and And you've been... Um, for lack of a better word, lied to about its reality. It's just a story. It's, it's just a legend. It's another one of those things where they build up this magic and this belief in magic in you, and they teach everyone about it. You know, and you do all these, you go into these myths and stuff, and then they're like, "Oh, and it's all fake." Rug pull. Yeah, and it's yeah. and it's another magical rug pull. There's a lot like that. We. Just had some conversations with uh, some old friends of mine who recently had a child and we were talking about how we deal with Santa and how we deal with like a lot of these other holidays and stuff. And we have our own sort of creative ways where we've been, you know, working around it and like telling because our, our kids like four. So it's like this is these are rituals this is the ritual. This is sort of like 
where it came from. And there's many different places that was all sort of merged into one. And we talk about the tree and we kind of lean more into the Yggdrasil part, but we, you know, we explain different parts of it. But when it came to Santa, we were like, we are Santa for each other. So we will. And so she'll actually get to put in presents in the stockings too. So we all have a, a point in the night, Christmas Eve, where we sneak over and we put the presents in and everything. Mm. Yeah. So no, we don't leave out any offerings. I like that. That's cool. And you know <laughs> yeah. what it makes me think of that I never actually put two and two together about Christmas is, you know, the act of putting on the um the costume or the guise mm-hmm. of the the deity or the, you know, the mythological figure is actually like um that is part of the ritual and it is part of that deity coming down like the sun like the the invoking of that deity whereas yeah, like the- now we see it as like oh well santa isn't real because that's just a guy wearing a costume whereas it's actually no santa is real because it's a guy wearing a costume you know the difference mm-hmm. between those and then haha psych it's not real yeah <laughs> magic, right. magic isn't real also never look at the north pole don't think about it ever again <laughs> right yeah or the south pole god forbid or the south, there's not either. a big hole no one ever mentioned the south pole. going into the hollow earth agartha is bullshit oh, just kidding that no, you got hollow earth is is one of uh, always one of my favorite ones that i uh, oh man I, it's chase it's down. totally that one to me is real um yeah. oh yeah like there's no way the earth isn't to some extent hollow like even if it's just honeycombed with caves we know that like it doesn't it have does, to be like hollow like a kinder egg it could it has be that like aspect of um as above so below like biological life always kind of forms with the central sun like you know yeah. like a nucleus and then you know electron like a shell around it so like all over you know the the more macro and the more micro you go you just keep seeing these same sort of systems where it's like one thing surrounded by other things with sort of like a shell. So I kind of always thought that one always rang really true to me as well. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And <laughs> it's also the love, the extent to which it's um, kind of brushed under the rug. Mm-hmm. They really like, they got replaced by flat earth. Yes, and that's kind of like a psyop, I think, against Hollow Earth. Like, if you think different things about the Earth, you're a crazy person. So, yeah, anyway, well, so let's. Know, um, <laughs> I no, you can go ahead. I was going to say, let's get into some clips, but I, yeah, I agree too. But uh, all I was going to say was, I just had a conversation with someone recently where we, and on the end, it was like, well, they're not really mutually exclusive. Like, it doesn't mean, you know, that there isn't still more underneath and still more Earth underneath. Like the, they. They don't cancel each other out. And there's a lot of that sort of overlap. Um, there was like a, a dinosaur debate that we even had. And it was talking about like, oh, you know, dinosaurs aren't real. They're just the bones of like giants and stuff. And I was talking with my wife after. And I was like, well, who's to say that those, the giants were humanoid? Right. Like, the, you know, these aren't, these aren't specifically mutually exclusive concepts. So are you uh, saying that so- the dinosaurs are Nephilim? We're so bred. I love this. (laughs) We're so bred to like um, categorize it and then not even consider any overlap. Anyways, let's dig in. I like dinosaur Enoch is my new favorite theory. (laughs) Yes. So you want let's yeah move into your ISO. Okay. So um, we want to do the ISO first. It's a good one. 
Yeah. Uh, so this is I so I grabbed from this first interview we're going to listen to. How deep into magical theory do you want to go? As deep as we need to. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. It's, it's Beautiful. One. And speaking of deep, as deep as the hollow earth. <laughs> as deep as we that might be how deep we need to go. Uh, and you so know there is, is a sun inside the earth. But anyway, continue. Yeah. <laughs> so this is um uh John Michael Greer on leak project um and he this was a i think it was like a year old year and a half old interview that he did uh he was advertising his or sorry you know what do you call it when you're doing your book you go and talk to everyone about your new book coming out yeah he's doing a um self-promotion yeah Yeah, yeah. promoting his new book king and orange magical and occult roots of political power and he's got he's actually pumped out a bunch of stuff and he's you know he's a druid um mainly and and amongst other things he kind of has dabbled in all magic his entire you know existence and um he's written a ton of really interesting magical books and stuff so here i'm going to start off uh this is him giving uh, a definition of of magic when, when when you say magic to most people these days they're going okay yeah harry potter gotcha that kind of nonsense real magic has as much to do with harry potter as real science has to do with young frankenstein if it's on hollywood it's nonsense to start with i want to start here with a definition and this is the definition that was used by dion fortune who was one of the major magical theoreticians of the 20th century and a crackerjack practitioner her definition is magic is the art and science of causing change in consciousness in accordance with will. If that doesn't sound like waving a wand and saying some ungrammatical Latin and having special effects happen, you're starting to get the point. What do you think? I thought that was a pretty, the, like, and it's an old definition. I think Crowley kind of has a definition that's similar to that as well. But I think it's actually, I like this definition, but I actually have started to think it's the other way around. It is my consciousness changes first, and maybe that's what what it's saying, but my consciousness changes first, and then my surroundings change to mold my new consciousness. Oh, that is what it's saying. Yeah. It is? I, okay. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Because it's it's producing a change in consciousness you through will, which then changes your, your environment right. or your situations or whatever. And he makes a really great point there at the end about how the difference between magic that we see and why everyone doesn't, we we already touched on this, why people stop believing in magic. There's a systematic things that go on as you're growing up where they keep pulling the rug out from under your magical belief over and over and over again. Till and why that you, causes, go ahead. No, it's until by the time you get out of school, you're just like, magic isn't real. <laughs> But the reason why that causes cognitive dissonance and the reason why that's so effective as a rug pull is because we always do it. Everyone's mm-hmm. doing it all the time. But yeah, and that's so insidious, hey? We're constantly yes. doing magic to ourselves and often bad, like hexing. We're like hexing ourselves. But here's a good example. Yes, we're hexing ourselves a lot. Uh, here's a really cool example. I, I am a Survivor fan. I... I love that show. I watch it. Uh, I've watched every season and I'm just, I'm into it. It's like, if I was really into a sport, it would be that. So you know funny. what I mean? It's very like, <laughs> very nerdy, but whatever. 
Um, no, I just I think it's a, an amazing sport because it would take so long. <laughs> can't really, no one really gets to sit in the field. People and do watch it. And... People put on uh, amateur uh, challenges where it, they basically do the same thing. But um, so last night was the last episode of this season, and the winner said that he did a thing where he, before he went on the show, he made a list of every winner of all the previous seasons. And on season 44, which was last night's finale for season 44, he wrote the winner as himself. He wrote his name as the winner. That's magic. And he announced that he did that on television, and everyone was like, oh, that's cool. You know, that's inspirational. That guy did magic Yeah. to well, get here, there. Let's, uh, let's listen to what John Michael Greer has to say. Uh, here's some spell examples. I'm going to give an example of a magic spell that everybody who's listening to us has encountered many, many times. It's a magic spell to make you think that fizzy brown sugar water is something you should drink. You've seen it on billboards. You've seen it on glass screens. You've seen it all over the place. What you have is a bunch of people. They're young. They're happy. They're handsome or pretty, as the case may be. They're nicely dressed in the kind of uh, slightly déclassé upper middle class clothing that lets you know they have lots of money. They're grinning and laughing and hugging each other, and they're all holding cans of fizzy brown sugar water. Now, that's a spell. You look at that consciously, and you go, yeah, come on. You know perfectly well. Those are actors. They're being paid. They're not actually having a good time. But your subconscious mind doesn't know that. Your subconscious mind sees the image of these young, healthy, happy, um, attractive, well-to-do people having a great time, and it absorbs the notion that this has something to do with fizzy brown sugar water. So the next time you go to the store or the next time you go to a restaurant or something, you're more likely to order fizzy brown sugar water. They're casting a whammy on you. They are literally casting a hex with that spell. We call it advertising. That's Advertising is, is cheap mass magic is how you can translate that. There are many other more complex ways of doing magic, but that's a very important one. And notice how it works. It works by symbolism. It works by image. It works by connecting something like fizzy brown sugar water with something else like young, happy, healthy, well-to-do people having a great time. So that you make that link subconsciously. You're stuck with that link until you learn to screen until you learn to look at that and say, okay, they're manipulating me. They're trying to play this game. That's fizzy brown sugar water. If those were, if those actors actually drunk all that, they'd rot their teeth. So that clip would have been like 30 seconds shorter if he would have just said Coke instead of fizzy brown sugar water. <laughs> but right. you see right there, he's, he's doing spell work himself, right? Because he's yeah, deprogramming. He yeah. He's calling it what it is. Um, which is such an interesting thing. So I got a, I got a little follow up here. Well, I was going to say, can I just say one thing after that? Yeah. Clip? I, I actually think that it's become even more insidious than that. And like, absolutely. Oh, yeah. He's correct. Uh, it makes me think of and one of my favorite series, Mad Men. Um, there's a scene where Don Draper goes to hang out with these um, kind of beaten it kids. And one of them looks at Don Draper and says, you're the enemy. You create need. You create need, you create or you create want or something to that effect. And that really always stuck with me because what they not only do is so it doesn't just show give you the solution. Advertising doesn't just give you the solution. 
it gives you desire. It gives you the problem. Yeah, it gives yeah. you the desire. It creates a need. So what I'm going to connect this to now is what we have nowadays, and I don't know that you have this in Canada, but in America, this is legal to advertise prescription medications on television. And I will tell you, I've been watching more TV lately, um, and I have to do like, I have to be very vigilant about this because mm-hmm. uh, of this for this reason. Nowadays, I can really just watch it detachedly and see this, but it's still hard to not get it on you. Um, But these commercials are insane. It's like, what is this disease? And what is this medication? And it's like, this will make your bowels rot out from within and drop out of your ass. And but it's treating like a like a brittle fingernail. Like, what the hell? And well, and it it eats all your uh, it can eat like your healthy muscle, your lean muscle tissue, yes. your, your brain. But don't worry, you're not going to think about it too much because it's been eating your brain. Yeah, <laughs> <as well. laughs> but you'll so be skinny. We went to a movie uh, recently. Uh, you know, we I wanted to take my, my child to go see some something, but I'm like, none of the new movies were very good, but they're having a, a Ghibli, Studio Ghibli oh, fest nice. this whole year at Cineplex. So they had the the three G rated movies were the first ones, which is awesome because um, the rest of I'm going to go see Nausicaa Valley of the Wind by myself, I think. But uh, we took her to Totoro and she loved it. And then we just took her to Ponyo and Kiki's Delivery Services early this next month. We're going to take her to that. But um, when we went to the last one, there was a commercial on. And this is the thing in Canada. They just have to be even trickier. To get, oh, around the, so? get around the laws. And it's commercial about everyone just running around looking happy. And they're saying, I asked my doctor. I asked my doctor. <laughs> How? I just asked my doctor. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And Mel leans <laughs> over and she's like, it's Ozempic commercial. I guarantee it's Ozempic. And I was like, no, it's, it's Canada. And sure as shit. I just asked my doctor. And at the end, they can't even say Ozempic. They can't say it. It just says Ozempic on the screen. And then they say, ask your doctor. Oh, so wow. they, they got around the rules by they don't actually really like they're clearly advertising it. And there's doing yeah. this, you know, hex thing that he's just talked about. Um, I love this conversation of advertisement as um, as a mass as, spell, though. It really he, is. What he, he calls it cheap mass magic, which I that was on one of my other isos i was gonna <laughs> snag oh let, let's see he's got a, i got a follow-up here let's see um what's he say don't think that it can't affect you just because it doesn't affect you consciously that's one of the tricks the magicians always use to manipulate the clueless it's because it works on a subconscious level because it works by lowering your level of consciousness by literally making you dumber um, that's, there are forms of magic that don't do that. There are forms of magic, of magic that work the other way, but you know those because you're doing them yourself and you're choosing what to do. You're making your own decisions, creating your own world. Um, if you're just sitting there again with drool puddling in your lap, taking stuff in, it's being used to make you dumb, make you manipulable, make you do what keeps the corporate system running. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and that's I, a good I, warning. For sure. I also think that, and I'm not just saying this because I have had to watch TV more. I haven't had to, but I've just been in a place where there's a TV <laughs> <Forced playing. to. laughs> I've been in places where there's TV playing. You know what I mean? And so, like, sometimes it's hard to avoid. Now, I do think there's a level of, like, 
where you can do this almost okay so there's a Werner Herzog quote that I'm thinking of where he says the poet does not look away and he's actually he's talking about bad reality TV and talking about how he enjoys watching it mm-hmm. um, I think you, you that there are to going be... to be times when I'm going yeah. to be subjected to something where I it's not like I do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah, I mean, I'm at the gym and there's TV playing all the time. I'm at the terminal at work and there's TV playing all the the time. Right now I'm staying at my mom's. There's TV playing all the time. I want to watch a baseball game. I'm going to see some Ozempic commercials. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) it's yeah. But can I approach this with awareness? Mm -hmm. Like is just seeing this making me dumber as John Michael Greer says, I don't think so if you have the right attitude. Like, I don't think it's inevitable. What do you think? Well, I I think what he says, what he more means in that quote is not just simply by watching the TV, you know, it's going on. It's he's talking about just think because it's not affecting you consciously, you know, it's not affecting you. But if you can, you almost have to counter it. Yes. With awareness. Uh, It's, it's like, uh, I think I might've talked about this last time. I, I developed a method for like countering invasive thoughts when they would come in and they'd be horrible and especially started happening once we had like a a newborn infant in the house and new parents think the worst things all the time. (laughs) And so I actually started putting a physical motion where I'd actually like snoot. I'd like shake my head and kind of like blow out my nose. Like I like like a fake farmer blow to kind of snoot it out of my brain. And then I would double down and think the opposite Mm. thought as much as I could. So, you know, when I had an infant and I kept having invasive, my baby's dead, you know, thoughts, because that's just a thing that happens when you have a newborn fragile human life in, in your house. Uh, then what I would start to do, I'd snoot it out and I actually have like a little like, <laughs> shaking my head. It looks dumb and sounds even stupider, but that just sort of clears my mind enough. And then I started picturing, um, you know, uh, her wedding you know and walking me being old and we're like walking through like a forest and like you know just the good stuff the things that i want you know and because you really want to communicate in the terms of what it is you want you don't want to communicate by saying what you don't want i don't want cancer (laughs) right because then you're still focusing on you're just saying cancer 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 it's the same thing with intentions right and how you don't really necessarily want to say a negative statement in an intention because you're still focusing on it so what I, I'll I'll share what I do for the TV stuff. Um, this is one I that happens more at the gym because luckily my family doesn't really watch like the news. They're like even they're over it, which is saying a lot. Um, but at the gym there'll be like news anchors on, like Fox News, uh, CNN, whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. It's all kind of I can start to feel it getting on me. Mm-hmm. And when I feel it getting on me, I breathe out like a wall of Reiki energy or whatever you want to call it. I don't really know what it is. I'm not using a sigil, so it may not be Reiki, but it's the same thing I'm doing when I do Reiki. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I am putting that wall between me and that reptile on the TV, and um, and I'm consciously placing it there. And then so... It's like your blue light filter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it, <laughs> you know? like, and that's like, cause like sometimes it doesn't get on me, but then sometimes you can feel it getting on you. And I think that might mm-hmm. take practice well, with the intrusive just, thoughts thing. That's really good. You know, I think that's what 
and I can't remember what saint said this, um, but the idea of praying assiduously, um, of being all the time in prayer, I think for me, that's been my um, method against those intrusive thoughts. And it's mm. kind of bound up in the practice of um, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous for me as well, because that was one of the ways that I really got to practice it a lot. Um, but mm. when those thoughts come, just being like, just surrendering mm-hmm. and um, praying and asking in some words, whatever you like, for uh, that to be removed or for, for um, the next right thought and the next right action to come. Yeah. Well, and uh, a, that's really good a, stuff. It's a counter spell. Yes. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, anyone who's be like, oh, media and, you know, that's that's not spells. Watch a supercut. Watch any supercut on any topic. And you'll you'll hear the words of the spell being cast over and over and over again. Yes, that's really crazy stuff. Because they all and they say, oh, they just all have the same talking points. That's just another word. <laughs> it's just more verbiage to cover up what's what's really going on. Um, actually, and, gotta, and a have, point, a point, a point is a piercing thing. It's um an injection. It's a it goes through armor. So it's a very interesting verbiage. I agree. Uh, words are super important and it, people just completely overlook them. Uh, here's a, I, I got a, I maybe got a little overzealous clipping this, this first one, but uh, it's okay. As I see it, the, the, the ruling elite of our society is not a unified group. It's different power centers that are constantly struggling among themselves for power, now gaining, now losing, now building up alliances, now being broken, having the alliances broken apart. Um, there might be 10,000 of them in total. How many of them are in the inner core is a heck of a good question, which I don't think you or I will ever know. But if it's like most social primate, there's an inner core of a few dozen, and there's various circles of of expanding influence around there, and it's constantly contested. It's constantly struggling. The the, the struggles for power that go on in there are never ending and brutal. Now, when he says inner core, he does mean the core of the inner earth, right? No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> probably. This whole thing turns out to be a Hollow Earth show. I didn't even get any Hollow Earth clips. Where are my Hollow <laughs> yeah, Earth Yeah, you didn't clips? think you did, but, you know, actually, <laughs> Every clip where is- are these elites ruling from? I so, um, am in very much in agreement with this, yeah. with this clip. Yeah, and that's, you know, we talked about this a lot over all the COVID stuff. And uh, the comparison we kept making was it was like, it was like every supervillain or every kind of faction all pulled out their hideous plot at the exact same time. And so it was so hard to keep track of what the hell was going on because it was like every week a different faction pulled out some other stupid thing that they had planned. And it was like, what? How are these are all happening at once? Is everyone, is it just like supervillain bonanza? <laughs> we'll just all, it's like the Sinister Six when they finally decide, hey, fuck, if we just all join up against Spider Man, we might have a chance. And yeah. so they just, you know, pulled it out. Uh, he, he continues on this line of, thought for a little bit here. The thing that our, our self-proclaimed lords and masters have lost the ability to do is think of a future that's any different from the cheap science fiction shows they watched growing up. <laughs> or, as we've seen, you know, Stalin or Stalin's Russia. 
they've lost the ability to imagine a future. Individuals can still embrace that. You can come up with a different future, a world that makes sense to you. Dream it. Put it put it into practice. That's how things happen. That's what Gandhi said. You know, um, you must be the change you want to see in the world. It's such a cliche, but it's the most important cliche I think that's out there. Um, is being being the thing that you want. Be it. I don't have to get it. I have to. I well, I don't have to do anything, right? But this is something that has been. I was just talking about this earlier before we started recording to another group of friends. Um, on the discord actually and the idea of being it if i am it then i will experience it see i have been in this idea of um and it's actually a place of scarcity my entire life and i didn't even know it where it's like i have to get it i have to get it i have to get it i need it i need to have it well mm. that just that um position implies lack implies scarcity it implies that i don't have it instead if i am it if i am success if i am prosperity if i am um happiness peace mm -hmm. then i will experience these things and this is this is going back to what he originally said as the definition of magic right like mm -hmm. if i change my inner world the outer world will change in accordance and i know that sounds crazy but it no, has been true in my experience a hundred percent it's not crazy it's and it keeps coming back into our society over and over and over again and then they always have to twist it in some kind of way so that people discredit it again so it comes out as like you know what the bleep do we know quantum physics it comes out as the yes. secret and then gets twisted and but we're talking this is the core of it it's feeling actually feeling these feelings not the feeling of i want success because as soon as you say that it implies you don't have it i don't have it yes you don't have it you actually have to feel successful it's the and same as the i don't I, I don't have cancer thing yeah exactly you're right. just saying cancer 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 over it. there are so many words that we use um one of the worst ones and this is going to sound really here we we're in hoo-ha territory now Good. one of the worst ones that gets used is hope hope is an emotion that is telling the universe things aren't good now but maybe one day they will be mm. and so holding on like when you just have hope we got to have hope 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 is not very useful in actually having any tangible you know, affect or change on our reality. To me, gratitude um, is gratitude is the exactly, answer. Exactly. Exactly. Gratitude is one of the most powerful ones and has tons of scientific backing. Heart-based meditation, which I teach, gratitude's the number one keyword for activating uh that heart emotion because it's it's kind of non-corruptible in a in a weird way. There's all these other words like even care and love, you can't use them as keywords because too many people have you know, they had to take care of their dying grandmother. So care is, you know, out or love. They, well, they had a, a, you know, you know, sort of bad relationships. So love doesn't work either, but gratitude is kind of across the board. I think they try to get gratitude though. Mm, yeah, they, they definitely do. They try to uh, like, just be grateful for what you have. You know, there are people, mm -hmm. I think we might've talked about this on the last episode, like be grateful because there are people dying or starving in Africa. That idea, right? Oh yes. Um you know, it's like a guilt gratitude. Yeah. 
which is like, but I don't think that actually yes, uh, is effective. We guiltitude. came up with the word guiltitude. Yes. And I don't I don't think that's quite effective. I mean, I guess it has soured people to some extent on gratitude or made mm-hmm. gratitude seem kitschy or um but really gratitude is just realizing what I have. And if I realize like it's be it's true sight, is how I see it. Gratitude is true sight because everything else is kind of obscuring the truth. But in gratitude, I'm seeing all that I actually have, like this amazing life, this amazing world, these amazing spirits that I get to share it with, both pe- both uh, incarnate and disincarnate, um, these amazing experiences I get to have. And um, I think another way that it gets kind of hit jobbed is this idea of like, yeah, but there's some people that don't, well, it's the same idea, right? Like, it's you almost can't feel like gratitude a, until everyone in the world has gratitude. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's it's a collectivism kind of thing. But right? exactly like kind of backwards because um you have to start with yourself. Yeah, you can't bring um like you can't bring people water if you have nothing to hold it in, right? Like if you don't have water yourself you can't bring it to other it's the airplane oxygen mask you got to put it on first to help someone else put theirs on or else you'll die yeah yeah (laughs) you don't go through the george carlin like i'm just going to jump over the old lady and the handicapped guy to get out of the plane (laughs) fastest (laughs) and then i practice gratitude after okay so you're you're american uh i want to what do you think of this one we have watched the complete destruction of America's working class. We have watched their standard of living driven down, hammered down, all the way from relative comfort to absolute poverty and misery. And nobody has been willing to talk about it. Nobody wants to mention that. And magic, to return to our theme, has been used in vast amounts to obscure that, to veil it, to make people not pay attention to this huge political reality, the fact that basically the working class in America got screwed, blued, and tattooed by both parties, by bipartisan policies that were cheered on and celebrated by the corporate media, by the corporate system generally. And so that was the thing that Trump brought out. That was the thing he recognized um, that that was talking about that and talking about the policies that made that happen. That was the thing that gave him his opportunity to get into power. And in 2020, the system responded with every dirty trick it had. The ruling elite was fighting for their survival. That's why you know they were throwing absolutely everything into the mix. To try to to try to claw control of the White House back. One of the reasons that things had gotten so bland there was precisely that everyone was sort of coasting on affirmations and warm New Age thoughts, and I create my own reality in this kind of crap, and that <laughs> almost got taken away from them. And we had the we had the four year long tantrum of the of the privileged classes, and we had the 2020 election, and it's not over yet. These are people with an overinflated sense of entitlement due to their class privilege. And so, the, and, and of course, their whole idea is they should get whatever they want. And, and, you know, they were promised a nice new Hillary Clinton doll in the White House, and the mean voters wouldn't give, it, give her to them. So, of course, they melted down. Okay, so a couple of things. In the end here, did you hear that lovely slip where the truth wants to come out? 
where he says uh, Hillary Clinton doll, but he says voters wouldn't give it. Give, give it. And then he corrects it to her. New Hillary Clinton doll in the White House and the mean voters wouldn't give it. Give her to them. <laughs> so of course they melted. Oh, down. interesting. <laughs> I, that, one, that one made me. La- I I was going to cut it shorter, but uh, that one I just thought was oh, it's one of those like the truth wants to come out kind of moments. Interesting. Of course, he kind of slam talks what we've literally just been talking about right before. <laughs> yeah, I was actually kind of confused by that. Um, that he thinks you create your own reality is is hogwash. I I think he's more touching on um, like. Th- the upper class, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow kind of goop crowd where it's like, it's sort of, it's like when people go to yeah, church. Yeah, but those are people that got Sunday. there. Yeah, right. I, well, I'm just thinking like, it's like the people who go to church and they kind of say the words, but they don't actually, they're not actually praying. They're, they're just going to be, look, I'm at church now. That's what I got to do, right? And so I thought it was kind of that. I also thought it was funny that he was slamming something that I'm like, hey, I like I like affirmations and, and creating my own reality. <laughs> yeah. And I also like I also uh am one of those people that thinks um that the people that like I if someone got there, if someone is it, I see it's actually a position of that same scarcity, that same lack to hate on someone for being it. Mm-hmm. And that is also putting me in a place of scarcity because I am diametric. I am putting myself in a place of opposition to that, which I actually w- would like to become to have it, um, to be it. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that like being rich and, and famous is really it, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like I think is that one of those examples of the ego? It, it, you yes. know, because I I tried to splice out as much as I could to make like smaller bits of of digestible stuff. But this is a really good example of he is on a promotional tour. He's promoting his books and stuff, and he's very talented. Has a bunch of wonderful things to say, but he's got to throw a little slag at the competition, right? Like, yeah, you know, oh well, affirmations and and crap like that. It honestly wasn't too different from this Neil deGrasse Tyson clip I saw the other day where he basically kind of just says it because YouTube hates me. So as I was pulling clips together, it kept throwing up the next clip of course. that I should watch is like something horrible. And I almost started clipping that Neil deGrasse Tyson thing, but it just, it was so bad. He made so many logical fallacies and he's his dead eyes and he's just with some hack comedian just trash talking. They're debunking Mercury retrograde. And so you can imagine it was just like nonsense after nonsense and like um, fallacy after fallacy. And then he says these things like the hubris to think that the universe affects you. The hubris to think that you matter. I am the universe. And then he follows it up with, but I, I like, I don't want people to lose hope. Right. So I want people to still have hope. So I think, you know, of course, but that's based on your definition of hope. That's actually a secret spell he's doing. Right. I know. Right. He's like, you should feel empowered to know that you mean nothing. (laughs) Yeah. I don't understand that because that shit made me depressed as fuck when I was living in that. Uh, I like, I watched that reality tunnel. 
like a 15 minute video and i just felt gross after i felt like i needed a shower yeah anyways um good catch on that um he he kind of goes into something really interesting after this um because he's, he's still sort of talking about politics and stuff but he starts to talk about egregores a bit and i i found, found this really interesting so john who's running the show is it like nobody's spiritual? running the show that's the that's the terrifying thing. Nobody's running the show. It's been on autopilot for years. One of the standard concepts of, that you learn in a magical education, the concept of an egregore. An egregore is a, think of it as a pattern of consciousness and energy. It's set in motion by a group of people all concentrating on the same thing. Egregores are all over the place. We create them all the time. Every group of people, every marriage has an egregore, every family, um, every workplace. Pay attention to the workplace, the family, the marriage, you name it. You can get a sense of a personality that doesn't belong to any of the people involved. That's the egregore. There are constructive egregores. There are incredibly negative ones. There's everything in between. And when people are not sufficiently conscious to manage their, the egregore that they're in, it can take over. And it doesn't actually have a mind of its own, but it repeats back the thoughts and feelings that have pumped into it. So I thought that actually was a pretty good explanation of the history repeating itself. It, despite the fact that you know many of us don't want it to to keep going that way but there is kind of like a an autopilot built into some of these um it's like when we were talking earlier about the santa claus and he takes you know there's a name for that it's not transubstantiation but there's a, a similar term for that where something stands in place of the and becomes the embodiment of the god or whatever part of the ritual you're working for and then everyone pumps the energy into that uh, and so he he talks about you know countries being like having an egregore and it hasn't been fed he, he there's a, a follow-up clip i had there it's a it's a little long though <clears throat> but he talks about how if you don't care and feed the egregore right then it just starts to keep spitting out what it thinks you want and it reminds me a lot of the um <laughs> all the algorithms you know, uh, that produce these echo chambers in, in, uh, the dark places, the dark place, TikTok, uh, any, any social media, <laughs> anywhere, anywhere on the internet race, basically now you just keep getting, uh, you know, everything spat back out at you. He has a, yeah, um, so Rudolf Steiner has a really interesting take on this. And, um, he actually like, and this is one of the reasons why I enjoy him is that, he likens Steiner. he likens um this the egregore of society uh to having um something like alcoholism uh, to suffering from something like alcoholism like but as a as a as a, a society as a whole yeah yeah and addicted and feeling the need to have and keep going back going back and doing the same because what made me think about that was when you described um wanting different results but doing the same things but doing um, the same things yeah. yeah and wondering why why does it always turn out like this um which is the answer in my opinion to that egregore 
is like again just doing the personal stuff Mm -hmm. well the the host actually asks him i I thought it was a really interesting question um his follow-up question was about ai one of the things that makes the that makes the whole ai thing so disastrous in practice is that Everyone's putting everything on the AI. Everyone's saying, no, no, we just do what the computer tells us. They're not reflecting. They're not thinking. They're not saying, is what the computer tells us to do actually, does it make any kind of sense? They've, they've handed over their decision-making power to a machine, and they're not even realizing the machine is being programmed by human beings. The parameters that guide the AI, the the input sources, all of the structure that ends up generating this, generating these decisions, those are being put in there by human beings and fallible human beings. So we get what back in the day always used to be called the Geigo principle: garbage in, garbage out. Geigo. I don't think that the AI is even really AI. Can I just say no. that? Yeah. No. I. Uh, I agree it's uh it's the new and it feels like we were supposed to be afraid of the ukraine conflict longer or we were supposed to be more afraid of the economy collapse and they're trying to move that energy into the next big thing because they need us to keep that sustained amount of energy and we keep uh, diffusing it early according to the timelines i think and so it feels like AI was supposed to be six months from now was supposed to be the big scary thing. But, oh, crap, they're not afraid of anything anymore. Hey, oh, uh, it's almost like they do feed on fear. AI. Yeah. Oh, like, it's a big know, part of what's going on. Yeah. And the reptile thing is like, I love it because the it's reptilians? just ridiculous. Yeah. The reptilians <laughs> yeah. feeding on fear and Oregon energy. Yeah. Because I, I like it because it's both a shibboleth, which like when I say it, I then know immediately, like if the person I'm talking to has a sense of humor or not. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a a shibboleth is uh like almost like a um, it's a Jewish word that it's like a code word that you. Uh, it's a a way of saying a certain word that demarcates like where you're from and who you are. Like yeah, in the morning to you. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your courage. So, yes. Yes. <laughs> and. Um, so the reptilian thing is kind of like that because I'm not being literal when I say it, like, Mm -hmm. but I also think that metaphors are just as good as reality. Like anyone that has money can understand this concept. Like Mm -hmm. that's a metaphor, but it's straight up real, you know, like, (laughs) so like they are reptilians that feed on your fear. But it's a little more nuanced than that. But as a metaphor, it's perfect because they always want us to be afraid. Mm -hmm. And they lick their lips a lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, There's also the moving eyes in different directions. Yes. And the um, different. Yes. There's tells. In in the Matt (laughs) Smith era of Doctor Who, I believe it might have come in at the end of the David Tennant one. But they just straight up were like. Oh, the Earth is hollow, and that's where the reptilians live. And they were just characters. Hell now. yeah! And I, this is a Hollow Earth show. What the heck? And Land of the Lost. Who Dude, knew? It, it all okay. roads lead to Hollow Earth. Now you just triggered me because <laughs> <laughs> I. It took me forever to find that because when I was a little kid, and I wasn't sure if this was a dream 
or something I had seen on TV or what, but I specifically remembered a bunch of reptilian beings. They were sort of with dinosaurs at the same time, but these were like highly advanced reptilian beings with humans. And they were looking into like this magic bowl and it was, I was an adult and I was still trying to figure out if that was a dream or if that was something. And it was land of the lost. Oh, it's so eerie. I must've seen it on cable at Mm -hmm. someone's house when I was a kid, because we only ever had like two channels. So we didn't get any of those old syndicated shows. We got the really old syndicated shows like, you know, uh, Astro Boy and Hercules. And and I, I saw a bunch of, a ton of mash. I think I saw all of mash, but anyways. Um, so they kind of switch gears there. I, I, I think, yeah, let's not waste too much time on the AI bull crap because I'm right there with you that I think it, it's a bunch of baloney. They're doing everything they can to like scare the crap out of everyone about it. And that like, man, some of the older generations, and I don't want to say boomers, but like it is technically accurate, are like pooping their pants about the AI stuff. But I guess we did like pump everyone full of every Terminator and horrible concept movie that we could ever. Well, this is like what you're talking. This is like what he was talking about. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually did want to talk about that for a second. Um, Mm -hmm. Where he's talking about them not having the elites, not having any imagination and then only trying to bring about the the sci-fi of their childhood. This is like, I think a, a touch point of like what makes an archon is the inability to create genuinely but only to recycle. So you can see it in like the current uh, Hollywood is like this now. Mm -hmm. It has become unable to create anything new, but only to recycle. Um, This, the archons were described this way in the Gnostic text. Yep. Um, They were only able to create um, facsimiles of what they saw. What they've seen, what they saw reflected from above. So when they created and this is just kind of a tangent, but I love this. So when the Archons created the humans and the Gnostic cosmology, they were creating them in the image of the of the one, of the Pleroma, of the true God, because they were creating them from the reflection they saw above. Mm-hmm. So that's the answer to why, if, if, we're, if we were created by Archons, how are we um, images of God? And yeah. it's because the archons were only able to, to copy um, what they saw. Um, anyway, but that's neither here nor there. But yeah, I like that. Um, I'm into that. Yeah, I I agree. Um, um, and AI too is mm-hmm. like that. Uh, it only searches the internet and puts together pieces of what's already been said or what's already been depicted. You know, like it doesn't actually create anything. It takes a program that's already there and then or an algorithm or whatever and then they're your prompt and then it goes off of the internet which is in itself like an egregore or i call the internet um a homunculus it's a homunculus of the collective unconsciousness it's got exaggerations if you've seen um there's a they use this in biology it's it's a they call it a homunculus it's a model of the human body with each piece exaggerated based on how much the brain of the brain is occupied um, conceptualizing it. Mm-hmm. And so it's got huge hands and it's got an oversized phallus. Oh, you know what like I mean? Hor- horrifying. It's like a goblin. <laughs> it's like a goblin. And this is what the internet is. Yeah. It's an exaggeration of all these things. So uh, yeah, without spending too much time on it, 
for sure. Also, well, I, in the interest of I time, agree. I did want to say, how many of these groupings of clips do you have, like per thing? Uh, less, and I, I, uh, this one had the most the, the longer clips. Okay, cool. Um, but I can always, uh, we can always cut stuff and touch on it another time too. So. No, you're good. I just wanted yeah. to know, just yeah. keeping track of time. Uh, We've two, been on three. it for like an hour. Yeah, well, this one I figured we'd probably spend an hour on because it's okay. Uh, cool, all good. Lots. Yeah, just so long that we're not. More. I don't want to miss any of your stuff. More is what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> well, we can always <laughs> just do another episode. And, yes, and for sure. Stuff stock. So here he's talking about uh, uh, spirit contact with their light. When we're trying to deal with with divinities, we're trying to deal with gods who are vastly beyond us. Of course, um, all we can do is come up with a kind of a kind of image a kind of egregore, which serves as an interface. But you know that a religion has something more than an egregore when it, ha- when it, it causes positive spiritual changes in people. You know, somebody gets involved in, in, in a church or in a, a synagogue or a temple or some religious organization, and they become better people. They, they shake themselves out of whatever, you know, whatever mess they're in and, and start doing something. That's not just an egregore. That's the influence of a positive spiritual being. And so one of the reasons that I think a lot of people are in so much trouble these days is precisely that so many of us have been talked out of using that, that contact with, with higher spiritual intelligences, which is available you know, by way of religions. Religion is how human beings contact these beings. That's, that's, the, that's the technology that we've devised, and it's still there. Yeah, that's not an accident. That's a hit job. Mm-hmm. Um, I, because... <clears throat> What he says there, too, about how we have to make these egregores so that we can conceptualize communicating, you know, with higher, uh, you know, spiritual, positive spiritual beings. That's like the first thing that they always do in when they take over religions is they say, oh, only our bishops or our priests are now the conduit between you and God. We have now usurped the role of your egregore. We are your egregore. Have, you don't talk to God. We you talk through us, you know. And it goes. And they do this them. on the individual level now. It's not on the. So, have you heard of the Roman? Uh, it's a Roman military ritual called the invocatio. I believe that's mm, how it's pronounced. I don't what they so. would do is, and this has been like on my mind a lot lately too. What they would do is. They would, when the Roman army, when conquering a city, had a ritual by which they would banish the um, the guardian spirit of that city so that they could then conquer the city. It's my contention that this has never stopped happening, that Empire continues to use this technique, and now... It has nearly perfected this technique, and it does it to you on the individual level. So it banishes your connection with spirit. It banishes your connection with your ancestors. It banishes your connection with place. It removes all these things so that it can conquer you and control you. It has to do that in order to conquer and control you. So the answer to that is to gain, is to regain my connection with all these things. And by doing that, I can then. act with sovereignty yeah it's even happened in the like um the like scientism like you know the mm-hmm. the, the new religion of you know materialist scientists uh where now it's oh no just trust the science 
don't yeah. don't think about anything yourself. Don't worry. Just trust the science. Trust the priests. Trust exactly. the priests. We are your connection. We are your egregore. We are. It's your too complicated between. for you to understand. We'll take care of it. You yes, it's it's the same thing, dude. The the science thing is crazy because people can't see that it's the same thing as when the liturgy was in Latin, and when mm-hmm. the whole mass was in Latin, and it was just and no one could even read, let alone Latin, you know. Uh, and it was like, just trust us. Yeah, and my grandpa loved it because it was only like fifteen minutes long. He's like, you were in and out of there, no problem. <laughs> and granted, I'm sure it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I I've heard it and it, it is beautiful, but um, yeah, but it's all it's all over your head, and you need us to connect you to the divine, which is a big deal. So he he does this. We were talking about words earlier, and there's actually so many things you've said which are great for upcoming clips too. This is it's been a wonderful journey. Thank you, universe, for all these breadcrumbs. Yeah. Um, so here's him talking about. Uh, one of the big, one of the big words that gets used, and it's it's not hope, but it's another big one. As a mechanism of control, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with the most important of the lot, and this is this is the loaded one: progress. Mm. This entire notion of progress. What does that word mean? It means continuing to go in the same direction. So when anyone talks about progress, they talk about how we're progressing, how, you know, we have to ignore everything that happened in the past because that was bad. That's the past. We must go onward toward the future. We it's must bad. progress. Past is bad. What they're talking yeah. about is going the same direction we're going now. This is why so many of these protest movements are basically just encouraging everyone to do what the existing order wants them to do anyway. It's what I call the riot for conformity. <laughs> they're they're pushing the system the way it wants to go. And that's because progress, once you have the power to define what change counts as progress, you control where everyone's going to go. Unless you take a hard look at the entire concept of progress, you look at it and say, who says? Are we moving in some direction? If so, is it a direction any sane person would want to go? Is there this thing called progress hardwired into the world? Is our history really a story of progress? Maybe things were better at some times in the past. Maybe history is a circle. Maybe it's a complete confusion that doesn't actually go anywhere at all. Maybe we can go someplace different, someplace we want to go, instead of where progress, <laughs> the, you know, the agenda of the corporate system, is taking us. But the myth of progress is the established religion of the modern world. Okay, progress isn't just a myth. I honestly think it's an alien. Ooh. I think Go it's on. from outside. Mm. And I think it came and it, here it, and disrupted wants us to progress oh, the way we, towards it. Yeah. 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 Okay, so and this is the other thing is and people get trampled under that shit. As long as we can never really break out of it. As long as we cannot admit that potentially humans have already been advanced previously, that we have other civilizations, right. and that there's other ways to be risen advanced. and fallen, and it, it's and we talk. Let's go back and quote, you know, the good old Reverend DeGrasse Tyson and the hubris, <laughs> the hubris. But literally, that is the hubris that we are the most technologically advanced ever 
and ever. Amen. Um, and I don't even think we're advanced at all. No, I don't. Because I I think that to, to, and I was having this conversation with someone at um, the orientation, funny enough, at the orientation for my new job. Um, And it was, you know, it was, uh, it was fun, but it wasn't going to go anywhere. It was, you know, just kind of an exercise in circular uh, conversation. But Uh, I was trying to, I was trying to explain that we're not advanced at all because to truly be advanced, we would have to show some sort of um, spiritual and moral, um, I don't want to say progress, but um, advancement to match our scientific advancement. We're actually really lopsided and out of balance with yeah, our advancement. It's like Lady in the Water, where there's that guy who wants to win the um, the Guinness Book of World Record for having one. He only works out one arm, and so he's got this one giant ripped, amazing arm, and his other oh, arm's like good. a wet noodle. Yeah, he's like and the coomer. Like, yeah, we're not really advanced. Um, we have one sweet bicep, I guess, on the one aspect, but like we have so many other energetic bodies. We have so many. Other Dude, we be skipping on. leg day. Yeah, <laughs> as a civilization, we have skipped leg day for th- two thousand years, Legs, and we're like, "Oh, look at how buff glutes. we are." You know what I mean? And so, like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So, like, the Egyptians understood that you needed um to advance your spirituality and your technology in step, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I'm sure uh, other civilizations have understood this in the past, and I'm sure they've forgotten it as well just like yeah. you know we have you know why did the mayans decide to abandon their cities mm-hmm. you know so here's the flip side which i really liked that he i kept this in because he uh, after the progress one he talks about this and i thought this was a really important i talked about the mythology of progress about the myth and the spell of progress there's a flip side of that which is the myth and the spell of apocalypse The idea that sometime any minute, the world is going to end, all the bad guys are going to get punished, and either everyone's going to die, or everyone but but me and my friends are going to die. And it's an addiction. It's a way of putting off putting off things into the future of daydreaming about the wonderful future when you're, you know, whether your idea of a wonderful future is rising up to heaven or whether it's blazing away at full auto on hordes of advancing zombies or whatever turns your crank. It's just, it's a way of of packing daydreams in the future so you don't have to deal with the present. And so I, I, what I like to do is point to people about the myth of progress, the myth of apocalypse. They are the Tweedledum and the Tweedledumber of our current historical imagination you have to get out past that and and notice that the future is not fixed it's not set in stone it's not knowable because we haven't made it yet i'm i like that yeah and i think it's really important because that was always my theory about 2012 when i was like nothing happened see nothing happened and my my whole i wrote wrote like a short piece on this at one point because i was developing a it never we never ended up um putting it on youtube but we were developing like a series basically to you know start educating people about different hoo-ha things um actually i think it was called hoo-ha <laughs> now that i think about it um 
And I wrote a, a piece for that about, you know, t- who's to say 2012 didn't happen because this is exactly what we were all doing. Everyone who was the kind of energetic person who would be wanting change, is desiring change, wants to like make a big difference in the world, can see a better world, was all being lazy buttholes and just sitting around waiting for, oh, well, 2012's coming. So let's just sit around and wait and see what and happens. That's and what so. happened here recently, too. And then when it didn't, I got into that recently. People had to change. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, dude, I was totally in apocalypse mode oh, for the yeah. last few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. you know, and I can like, I can see where I was in it and I can see. I don't regret anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's definitely like kind of a, it, like you said, it's a pacification play. Mm-hmm. Almost like the same as uh, like a QAnon type deal, right? Where like all, and he said it there, all the people will get punished. So just. Except sit, me and my friends. Sit back and trust the process, right? Like. Yeah. Um, it's the same idea. And it, it urges inaction. And it, man, it actually caused me to kind of like make some bad decisions, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and not like progress, like progress, well, not you know, um, move forward in my life. My wife always points out that like once you start like prepping, it never ends. Prepping, and then we talk about the words again. It's always prepping, and that's what it's called. So it can never uh. have an end. The action in itself is always to keep collecting, to keep getting things, to keep getting prepared. Uh, so you'd buy this, you'd buy water stuff, you'd buy, you know, food supply. And then it's like, oh, but you need this now. And now you need some electricity. Now you need this gasoline. So you got to get those things. You get those things. And it's like, well, now you need some storage for your dry powder. You need some storage for your, you know, liquid. Like, and it just, it's, it's honestly, it's really good marketing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's also interesting <laughs> because it kind of, it kind of apes the reality that well like the it's all like ragnarok is happening every second Mm -hmm. um it's always in the process of ending like because we are in a state of impermanence in that state isn't genesis also then yes so so it's creation too so i'm in a continual state of impermanence which Mm -hmm. means not only is it ending but it's also beginning so it's more imbalanced if i'm focusing only on apocalypse then I'm missing out on Genesis. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. I got it. He's got like two more little quotes um, on magic. And then I think we should shift gears uh, to something a little more recent. And it's still, it's a little more spiritual, philo- philosophical, but it's touching on everything that we're talking about. So Sounds good. What you're trying to do is establish a relationship. And it's just like hanging out with someone and becoming a friend. Okay. It's not, you're not trying to make something. He's happen. talking about the first steps to become magical. Out. So you spend time in nature. You take up the practice of meditation, which was one of the things the Druids do. You do various other things. You're trying to attune yourself to to something that's, that's been there all the time and you just have never noticed it, which is the presence of the divine in nature. And so what typically happens is that you'll go through a period of just going, wow, this is neat. And then you'll go through a period where you just don't notice anything happening. And that's when you know people like me who teach this sort of thing are saying, no, just keep at it. Be patient. Just pay attention. Don't try to map any expectation onto it. Don't try to push the river, as the Zen masters say. Let it happen. And then all of a sudden you realize that you're actually part of a process. You've been part of a process all along. And you are surrounded by divinity and you just didn't know it. 
And at that point, you know, the friendship is established, start doing stuff together. It's very difficult for many people because people want instructions. They want uh, things they can do. And so much of this is a matter not of doing, but of perceiving, of waking up, of, of clearing your mind or of learning how to think clearly, which most people don't know how to do, by the way, and learning how to use these things as, as ways to pay attention to what's been happening all along. Yeah, that's good. I think that's a pitfall that um, pushing the river. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the Harry Potter effect, too. Like we were talking about, people want expected results. And that's right part away. of like what magic seems to be sold as. And like, especially mm-hmm. Western, Western magic, it's like, oh, but my true will, but my true will. You know, like, and like, dude, I can't tell you how many times I've thought I've wanted something, but then the practice of practicing magic and then getting it. And I was like, oh shit, I don't want that at all. That's not what I want at all. But I didn't know that until I got it. And so there's this kind of like, I like what he's saying here because it's like, it brings me to a point of, it's a more it's a more um zen sort of approach to it or a more well, it's well, a more it's, eastern approach to it honestly yeah it really is because it's not magic in terms of you have to do x and y to have z happen it's more just um magic is always happening all the time all around you and you just become aware step back and become aware of it be in the flow of it yeah and if i can see it yeah then i can i can like i can flow with it it's a flow it's like a it's the like a taoist sort of idea right like Mm -hmm. but if i can't see the flow i'm going to be sitting there trying to push the river and i'm just suffering i'm just creating suffering for myself and that's fine it's okay to do that there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with it I will like, probably come to the same conclusion. It just may take longer and involve more suffering. Maybe it takes multiple lives. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I'm going to come to that. So it's not like, like it's, it's okay. It's going to be all well, right. And what I really appreciate <laughs> about that quote as well is um, there's this other aspect in magical practice, which is um, any results do whatever to to get whatever results you can yeah kind of practice and that's not what he's saying either and i think that's very important because a, a lot of the things where it's like oh just keep fucking around with it. like anything that gets you results you start walking in some murky waters and you start oh, yeah. dealing with things that like if you haven't spent this time just sort of seeing the divinity around you and seeing the magic that's going on all the time and you just leap right into summoning you know demons and stuff like that you're gonna get yourself into some trouble more than you know we're already in and i I also don't think that it's um an ethical place to come from and um i'm sure a lot of people automatically assume as soon as you're doing any sort of magic oh well ethics are out the window but I, i don't no, I, I don't think, think so I either. Think it's more, I think it's more important, and I think you actually really because can't it's a technology. Do any good magic until you you do have a firmly established kind of. Well, this is also uh, a very Western mindset where it's like, yeah, oh, technology it trumps all. Like, I just need mm-hmm. the tech, and then I can get the thing. 
and I can make it easier by getting the tech. But if I don't develop my ethics alongside the tech, I am going to get burned. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to burn others. And karma's real. Um, And so that has to be paid for somehow. Um, But also, it makes me, I'm skipping leg day again. You know, and so I'm not really doing myself any good. I'm not creating a well-rounded, um, yeah, experience. No, you're you're a lopsided, like half. And it's what it's what's gotten us here is this roid this, monkey, <laughs> this pursuit of the tech mm-hmm. at the expense of ethics, at the expense of morals. And I'm not even a big like moral guy you know what I mean? <laughs> like i don't know like, i think it's kind of a drag word you know what i mean like yeah um i think there's probably a better word there mm-hmm. but i can't think of one you know what i mean um yeah well let's uh let's switch gears and maybe that word will because i had only one other clip and that's basically him talking about magical starting points and what he comes down on is cleansing cleansing is like the first thing you should be learning and doing even any sort of simple cleansing that you can start to do of your space your environment uh as long as 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 well as changing your perception of what's going on are like the the first recommended sort of things so this one as i was working and clipping this one plopped itself into my email and i didn't really realize at first that it was going to be relative to what we were talking about uh and then once i started listening i started clipping it because uh it's recent. It's just from last week. And uh, so do you, you know who Charles Eisenstein yeah. is? Writer and philosopher. Uh, and he's an environmentalist, but not in that like horrible uh, corporate money-making way or screaming at other people way. He's actually got a really cool uh, slant about it. So he, through kismet or, you know, synchronicity, whatever you want to call it, um, ended up being invited to meet RFK Jr. And they were he was they were all having sort of conversations and suddenly RFK Jr. turned to him. He's like, well Charles, what, what do you think? And he was like, um and started talking to him. And now they've developed such a friendship that he's actually helping with his campaign. And so this is a sit down with the two of them. And I clipped a bunch of it because it was really interesting. And Charles Eisenstein asks asks him about things that no one asked him and he asked him about like spirituality and and stuff like that it's kind of awesome so before um, we get into it i need to take yeah. a quick restroom break yeah let's do it I gotta if do you that need too. any water or anything go ahead and get it we'll be right back okay so you weren't wearing a show diaper <laughs> <laughs> no man i forgot it i've got dinner plans with uh nice. Kurt huggins so i don't get to hang out with us folks very often so a lot of the upcoming clips now are shorter. <laughs> Not like there was less interesting things. I just that first one there was he just had because he would go on. Yeah. And yeah. Then I, I would be about to clip it and then be like, oh, he just said like three other interesting things at the end there. But these this is a little more concise. It's nice. So it's good stuff. Yeah. So this is Charles Eisenstein uh talking with uh RFK Jr. And uh it's Eisenstein starting here, and he's talking about the decline of community. The story of losing the stream where you and your brother played when you were kids, like that's such a defining image of childhood, finding frogs and turtles, you know, and playing in the water. It's what makes me sad. Um, and I have a loss like that as well, uh, the place where I grew up uh, for the same reason, you know, a highway came through. But what makes me even sadder now is that a lot of kids never even have that to begin with. 
because childhood has migrated indoors almost completely. And children rarely have time outdoors that's unsupervised. And even if the, the parents shove them outdoors, there is not other kids playing outdoors in, in the kingdom of childhood. You know, this is something, it's related to the decline of community. It's related to the decline of public life. It's related to the rising levels of fear. And it transcends any political conversation, really. Like when I talk to, doesn't matter, liberals, conservatives, anybody, people are like, yeah, we don't know our neighbors anymore. We don't know our neighbors anymore. Yeah, that's part of that separation. Um, that's part of that. And, you know, Eisenstein talks a lot about separation, obviously, if anyone that pays attention yeah. to him. Um, but I think that's also a part of that um, that ritual of removing the guardian spirit of the individual. Like, because part of that is, like, we need each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so any... any um, it really it's crazy because this is one of the reasons why I've just had to settle on the idea of of that there must be some kind of a a collusion, a conspiracy, a hoo-ha <laughs> is because it's too perfect. We've been hit on every level to make us easier to control, more afraid, weaker physically, weaker mentally, less well. Every level. Is that yep. a coincidence? That's crazy to think that's a coincidence. What did they just who and who and who benefits from that? What did they just trip and fall into a golden carriage? You know what I mean? Like that's absurd. <laughs> well, I have a I have several follow-up things which will uh which will go right into that. So we, let's just Let's just keep cooking here. Let's hit it. All right. So um, here they're still talking about because um, RFK Jr. starts off with the story about how him and his brother used to play all the time outside and play, you know, in the, the lakes and they watch the fish and those fishermen had been doing it like for like 300 years living with that, you know, um, with that lake and that river. And then when they started putting a highway through the his and him and his brother would throw rocks at cars going by because they're like, get out of our <laughs> get out of our nature, motherfucker. Yeah, that's what land spirits do too. <laughs> yeah, they totally do. So anyway, uh Eisenstein starts talking a bit about right relation, which I always enjoy. The fishermen you were talking about, why were they able to maintain a fishery sustainably for 350 years? It was because they were in relationship to it over generations. They knew the fish. And that kind of relationship, you know, even if it hadn't been destroyed by the polluters, when, when the industrial fisheries come in, they're completely oblivious to that. You know, the, the things that I mourn also, I, I just the thrill of finding a box turtle. <laughs> that would have been a good ISO. <laughs> I know. I, I, I was going to really good at the end of what Charles said, but the <laughs> RFK comes in and says, yeah, I just... I miss the thrill of finding a box turtle. But That's he wonderful. goes in to describe box turtles and the amazing colors, and they're all unique. Oh, it's fantastic. Creatures. I love it. But I just love, like, what it, it's, it's almost sounds like a senile man thing to say, but it's actually like a perfect and wonderfully poignant thing for. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. But it's also yeah. funny. It's also super funny. Um, oh, side note when I was clipping this, you can see because he's got that throat thing. Or whatever. Like I find him difficult to listen to, which I, I've been able to ease more into because I do want to hear what he's saying because I like a lot of what he said. 
but you can see in the waveforms that like a clear difference between their two voices and oh, yeah. it's just like the it it's so to have that visual of of that it's very interesting uh so here uh rfk jr starts talking um a little more spiritual and uh, this actually relates to what i started thinking about this morning with the tapestry stuff saint augustine you know talked about it and said he talked about the idea that god talks to us most you know eloquently through creation and that creation is like that every every rock is a word every brook and every leaf is a you know is a phrase or a lesson that god has for us there, there's something that you know we can learn from just sitting and observing nature we that we can learn about our creator and when we you know destroy that we destroy part this critical part of our you know relationship with god and the capacity to imagine the capacity to to understand to comprehend through observations and and augustine compared it to a, a tapestry the entire tapestry shows the face of god and that through all of these different vectors through leaves and flowers and grasses and wandering animals and fisheries and that you know today we're pulling the strings out of that tapestry and it's getting more and more ragged and and bare and and dull and you know the colors are muted and the stars are not even visible anymore and that yeah, so so no wonder we're attracted to to the garish colors and fast moving images of you know the internet and entertainment media so a couple of things in that that i i found uh really interesting um first off going back to the tapestry thing and now he talks about when it's all woven it it's the face of god i've often thought of this because uh, like i said after my wife started knitting and it's a single thread it's a single string that when she knits it you know it it, it becomes something else completely but it's all made out of one string usually or sometimes you merge them in and stuff but it's one it's a it's a two-dimensional that becomes yeah well and I mean, the way that they're twisted right it's still just that one piece of yarn but this one's been knitted and this one's purled which is just like knitted backwards and then um there's other methods where you sort of knot them and wrap like and you have multiple different things they're all still that one piece of yarn they've just been um developed into a different shape but if you do pull on it eventually you could just pull it all back out into you know your one your one it's all the one yeah it's all the one yarn so it's like how we are actually all made of the same thing and kind of all kind of a part of this the we're a part of the life of the mm -hmm. universe but we kind of appear to each other as separate beings yeah which you know for, for at this level we are mm -hmm. but there's another level where we're not separate at all or at least and, you know, we, it's, they're both we know that we're all the same thing, just, you know, indifferent. It's it's like a big piece of putty where you, you pinch I like up the pieces of characters. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a finger, that's a finger, but it's all... Yeah. Down here, it's the same. Well, it's like the um, ta tattoo I have. It, it was like the name of uh, an old band that I was in, and it came from this meditation and stuff. And I may have talked to you about this before, but it's the zero equals one equals infinity. Is what we were called, and then eventually the, everyone started calling us the equation, which is why we sort of changed gears. But that was a thing that um, had appeared to me in a meditation, 
when I was thinking about this whole philosophy of boiling all life in the universe down to a single concept. Um, yeah. And so it kind of started with, well, nothing is, was, is still one thing, right? It's still right. something and it's yeah. also everything. And it would also be, and then so yes. as the more I thought because about it, I started thing. realizing all con all three of those concepts are essentially the same concept. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, potential. It's everything. It's nothing. It's one thing. And um, and so that's that kind of led to this. It's like a my philosophy of life. And stuff. well, it's the idea of the void too, right? Like, so mm -hmm. I've thought about this in the terms of worship. Like, if I worship nothing, I'm still worshiping a thing. You're still worshiping. One if thing, I believe in something. nothing, I still believe in a thing. It's just nothing. Um, and I like this idea that Charles brings up at the end of this clip. Yeah, that's where he I talks it about. In. Of course, we're attracted to the bright colors and the garish things, um, because there's when no, there's no bugs, there's no. <laughs> well, when that's taken, so I, I see this. Um, the way I've thought about this before is in terms of ancestral veneration. So I think it's a natural human behavior. Perhaps it's a natural um, living being behavior. I mean, elephants do it too. Um, this idea of venerating our ancestors. And when we stop venerating our ancestors, we are going to venerate something. And so now we venerate other living people, celebrities, um, high priests of different religions of different science mm -hmm. um, and we, institutions we pour our energy into making these kings yes so kings and that and we yeah. we venerate them there's something okay this is gonna this isn't yeah i'm just gonna say this, it. there's something innately virtuous about being dead because you can't fuck up anymore <laughs> yes yes you can't dude you but really you can't hurt anyone else you know what i mean like i guess yeah. you kind of can if you're a ghost but like just hear me out you can only now be elevated you can only be elevated now mm -hmm. you can only be brought up like i don't think you can go further down and get worse after you've dead. You can stay bad if you were bad. Mm -hmm. You know? Maybe this isn't true. But um I, I, it's it's like you're comparing being dead to hitting rock bottom and you know there's oh, nowhere to go but up. <laughs> right. It's it's that's kind a really of. reductive and not accurate. Even though I think uh, that death is like the whole point. Yeah. Death is the point. Like we all came here to do that. We're all going to do it. Mm -hmm. It is like the culmination of life as opposed to like life failing. Because for the longest time, I thought of life as of death as something that stupid people do. You <laughs> Darwin Awards, you oh, fucked yeah. up, you didn't evolve, you died, you failed. But what working with my ancestors taught me was no, no, death is the beautiful thing. Death mm -hmm. is the thing. Saints become saints through death. Um, and not it to confers you, upon but... you powers that you wouldn't have had. The dead can do things for us that we weren't able to do that they weren't able to do for us when they were alive. They their power is dispersed to the collective in ways that weren't available when they were alive. 
you know, I used mm-hmm. to think that it was kind of foolish that people always looked fondly at the dead. There's been people I've known that have died that I didn't really like. And everyone was romanticizing them after they died. And I thought to myself, that's dumb. But I, I didn't understand it. What it does is it, no, it actually transforms you into a more virtuous being. It's not that those people are foolish. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know what I mean? It, well, I mean, it's like um, like when we're talking about like dissecting the hoo-ha here. It's like when the person dies, like, okay, well, now we can take out all the stuff that was ego and things that wasn't really important and it was clearly just them trying to sell stuff. And we can just focus on the actual information that was there and the things that they brought. Yes, we can experience gratitude. We can experience gratitude for the good things that they brought to our lives and stuff. And I used to be... And that is them being transformed. Mm -hmm. That's the same thing happening. Yeah. I was getting allowed to happen earlier. And, uh, Sorry, go ahead. Lord of, oh, I was, I, the Lord of the Rings quote is my my daughter asked me the other day, like, Daddy, when I grow up, am I going to die? And I was like, Oh, and of course, my wife was out of town that day too, so I had to deal with it all myself. You couldn't just pass the buck. No, I wouldn't want to. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just and kidding. It, it was like, um, well, it would have been nice if she was there. We could both kind of had the conversation, but I had to just sort of deal with it. And I was like, you know, honey, it's just death is just another path, like one that we all. When we all must take, and that's like the Lord of the Rings line. But uh, I was actually, this is perfect, because I was going to talk about Ursula Le Guin, because in that quote, um, RFK Jr. talks about everything having a name, every rock has a name and has like a true name. And that's a big theme in uh, Ursula Le Guin's Earthsea books, is that everything has names, and we just don't know the names. But if you actually can learn and remember their true names then you can have power over them even people have Mm. true names that no one knows and they don't even know until they go through a birth like a passage uh write a passage when they're like teenagers and then someone magical who can see their real name will will tell them what their real name is if you'd like to find a name for yourself you can go to the last episode of this podcast and check that out we we worked on that journey together that was a very good plug i like it um, so I also talked to her about, cause, uh, in one of the earthy books that I had just been rereading, um, they talk about death and they talk about it as, uh, basically being, you know, the palm is like life and the back of the hand is death. And the, the two, they're part of the same thing. They're part of the hand. Like you were just saying, they can never be together as one, but they need to both be there in order for the hand to exist i think they are one and so like maybe it's the same way of saying the same thing but a different way of saying the same thing that is but yeah, it's the, it's i'm like gonna the, harp on this dude do it here's another thing that's been <laughs> stolen from us here's another thing that's been stolen from us death is the gateway to immortality mm-hmm. death is how you become immortal and so striving for immortality in this world actually keeps you from it Mm -hmm. actually keeps you from experiencing immortality now is it a given no does that mean you should just go die no because there's kind of work to be done towards that right i listen to this podcast and now i just want to go die (laughs) (laughs) but um i i i think that you know i'm a big like make christianity a death cult again guy I think that should be a hat. <laughs> it's a little long for <laughs> M C A D C A. Um, 
Mikadka. Mikadka. Yeah, that's good. It's it rolls off the tongue. Nice. It's not quite as snappy as what would Jesus do, but right here we go. So here they're talking. What would Jesus uh, do? He'd die. He'd die. That's what he that's did. What he Guys, did. read the book. <laughs> By objective measures, if you don't include mental illness and addiction and so forth, by objective measures, we're just fine. It's nature that's suffering. And and for me, this idea that someday we're going to die too if we don't change our ways is actually kind of dangerous because it's it's suggesting that the reason we should change our ways is primarily what will happen to us. And so it plays into the basic paradigm of the instrumentalization of nature that uses it and exploits it for self-interest and requires that we deny what's actually human nature, which is to love and respect and honor and hold sacred the beings around us. I thought that was pretty spot on. Um, yeah. And that's definitely one of his major criticisms too, is, is it's everything that's being done is all about profits really you know how much money there is in climate climate scare and uh, climate action plans and and well, all these things and oh yeah but it's all about we can't just tell people to go out in nature and, and love nature and you know start forming a relationship with it again we're just like look you're gonna fucking die and, and no it, one will it, be able to breathe and we're gonna burn to crisps <laughs> right and it's a self-centered selfishness too and he touches mm-hmm. on that right where it's like well, about what'll happen yeah. to me what'll happen it's to like, me it's Instead like how they're always like uh, the other. they're always defending the cute animals right it's always the polar bears and you know the penguins and all the the cute yeah but animals. let's genetically engineer mosquitoes to not be able to breed Right? right or like no one cares about like spiders and like other weird like the thousands and thousands of species of bugs which are disappearing all the time what about bacteria <laughs> yeah oh no 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 one cares about bacteria what about viruses? Uh, th- it's funny where they draw the lines i remember because like i, I had to eat, ask a vegan one time like well i'm like well how extreme are you because i'm like making dinner and they're like well you know just well and i was like well what about honey because some don't eat honey because it's it's stolen, you know, from the bees. It, it it is a thing. They're like, no, no, honey's okay. And I was like, okay, how about sourdough bread? And they looked at me like I was nuts. I was like, well, here's the thing: is like, I have a starter. It's like a pet. It's a living creature that sits on my counter. I have to feed it all the time, and there's millions of little yeasts living in it. And but and like, I have to feed them. And if I don't feed them, they get mad. And it's a it's a thing, <laughs> and so it's it's weird where they where the line is drawn. Yeah. I also have one of those. Um, That's also a lot like having a relationship with a ghost or a spirit. Yeah, it's like you have to feed them. Like you, yeah, it's the same well, thing. Like and you, I have an altar. Look, I'm gonna restate what you just said. Mm-hmm. I have an altar with spirits on it, and I have to feed them. Mm-hmm. And if I don't feed them. They get angry. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting, right? I don't. Yeah, yeah. Life isn't just biological, but anyway, go ahead. I, you know what? Uh, I lost my train of thought, but that's okay because I think um, you. I ganked you it from you. I'm this. sorry. No, no, it wasn't important. Clearly. <laughs> so he asks uh, RFK Jr. about how he stayed sane during the pandemic because he, Charles Eisenstein talks about how people are like how how'd you keep such a level head during the like doing all the because he talks about them both being, you know, public dissonance, 
uh, in the over the whole thing and um eisenstein's like what makes you think that i was cool and level-headed the whole time like you just read some things i wrote i went through some dark times and i like started questioning if it was me that was crazy and not the whole world and stuff and so i thought um thought it gives a pretty good answer to this I have a real kind of spiritual discipline, which is I really rely on 12-step meetings, and I was going to nine a week during the uh, pandemic. I'm, I've been doing that for 40 years, and, you know, because that's where I get kind of spiritual renewal and confirmation and validation, and also the opportunities for service that you get through that, which is really what keeps people sane. You know, if you're feeling depressed, um, or if you're feeling disconsolate or uncertain or an- anxious, the one thing that will transform that immediately like magic is if you try to help somebody else. Man, I did not know that about RFK, but that really made me happy to hear. Wow. I, I thought you would like that because I, I, I thought it. about it after. I had already clipped it and I was like, hey, wait a second. Tim talks about 12-step uh, in it and stuff too. So Yeah. It's a big yeah. part of my spiritual process, man. It's... um. It's really good stuff. It's so simple and so poignant what he says at the end there, which is if you're feeling depressed, you're feeling angry, you're feeling all these things, help somebody. The most certain thing that will get me out of that experience is to think about where I can be helpful, where I can be useful. And dude, the great thing about it is, mm-hmm. and I don't think this is necessarily like thought of so much in AA, like sometimes, yeah, there's prayer, but like, dude, as a non-materialist, the ways that I can be useful and helpful and serve are exploded, man. Like praying for the dead of an area, praying for the land, giving merit to spirits. I can be of service in ways that don't even require me to leave this van. Which is what most <laughs> like, people <you> want. <laughs> they want well, to. <laughs> well, I mean... Of course, you should also go outside, but like that's another way of being of service is like, how about you go pick up some trash? Like, have you ever made amends to the land? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, And so that's something that that. I've done. Because, dude, I'm not always really in the mood to talk to people. Yeah. But I can still be of service to the land by picking up trash or making it nicer. Or, you know, like, there are many ways. Like, so if, if I don't feel like living humans, I can go to a graveyard and pray for the dead. Mm-hmm. That's being of service. That's making amends. That's being different than I used to be. That's being different than I was five minutes ago when I was miserable, only thinking of myself. Now I'm thinking of someone else and I feel better. Yeah, helping people out. And I, I feel that too. I definitely went through um, some like COVID hangover stuff in the last year. I also had like a big change in my entire life. Like I had a 20 year career kind of end and i sort of decided i didn't really want to go back i didn't really want to stay in the industry anymore because they're really rewriting the language and not a huge fan of what's been going on so i've been branching out to do other things and so i'm just starting all new all new life all new things and so it was hard and, and you know there's been some periods of like frustration and anger there was also this whole um everyone just pretending that the pandemic stuff and the the horrible treatment of each other didn't happen. It's like if a couple had this slap fight with each other where they actually bruised each other and then the next day just pretended like nothing happened. Like one yeah. of it is a cycle of abuse. One pretends like everything's fine. It's like, hey babe, do you want some eggs? And well yeah, it's a form coffees. of gaslighting, right? Yeah. 
And so that was kind of like added into like this sort of uh, unacknowledged anger. And I was um, been subbing teaching preschool, which was very nice because it keeps me working with with children, um, which is where my, you know, my entire career has been for this millennium because it's pretty much since like 2000 <laughs> and uh but on in a in a way that i wasn't needed all the time and so i could start to branch out in some of these other areas where i've been working you know my been doing reiki and my biofield tuning and i've been doing meditation consultation and uh and, and astrology comics yeah branching out in other areas and uh kids are great for and just being service like i'd be feeling so terrible and then i'd have a couple subbing days and i'd go in and then i'd feel amazing again for like a, a a week or two before that stuff would start to creep back in and it was it's that exactly what i said it's it's service to others because the kids they don't there's no expectations when you work with kids there's no real judgment they're just kids and yeah. you know they they need some help they need some help doing things they need to be empowered at the same time and it, it's great and you talk about cleaning up trash and that was kind of our earth day thing though we would break it out anytime it was really really nasty we would get the kids okay you know we're gonna go grab some garbage bags and we're gonna clean up the fields because we play in them all the time and people are dirty and and at this new job i was working and th this is not a criticism of my coworker, um but I, it was earth day and they're like we didn't do anything we we're out playing in the playground and i was like well you know we used to always go and like just pick up the trash and stuff and she said yeah i, I thought about that she's like but i'm, I'm really afraid of fentanyl and excuse I, me I, and I didn't really continue the conversation because I didn't know what direction it was going to go. And I didn't really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm afraid to. I've been made afraid to touch matter. Well, and she's like, you know, and I don't have any gloves. And so I was thinking, I'm like, so is the fear that, like, you don't want, you're afraid of getting some fentanyl contamination. But like the kids are running around and playing in the sand, and some of them are picking up this garbage and stuff. <laughs> so, but like, so it's like, dude, it's okay so for the kids crazy. to play and be, you know, potentially like endangered by fentanyl. And I, I think she meant that she doesn't want the kids, like the, you know, afraid like a fentanyl contamination and the kids touching something. Um, it, but it was just such a strange, like, comment. And I was like, you know, just from what you were saying, isn't that such an interesting blockage? Yeah. You know, this tiny thing that we could be doing to, you know, satisfy the land spirits and, you know, give them some acknowledgement and care and attention. But we're afraid. It's always of, fear. It's always another fear. It's like we're afraid of drugs. Um, right. And it doesn't I, matter but, what the fear is. It, it could be the fear of looking stupid. Mm -hmm. But like, it's always from fear. Yeah. So it's all. And fear is innately selfish. Mm -hmm. okay, and so he. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say uh, he talks a little bit more about meditation now, which is a, is a good one. I mean, have you been able to maintain a meditation practice in the, you know, during the kind of continues from where we were daily yeah. intensity of the campaign? Yeah, yeah. I, I have to. It's, not, a, it's wow. not an option for me. You know what I do, Charles, is I do a hike. I do a walk mm -hmm. meditation. So I, you know, I hike every morning in the wilderness and i do my meditations then and i have a you know a, a discipline that i go to that i've been doing for 40 years and it just works well for me you know it keeps me centered for most of the day by the end of the day 
you know, everything gets ragged. I have a friend who says that the devil sleeps late and it's really easy to be a good person in the morning. But, you know, by late afternoon, <laughs> you know, he's putting on his, you know, his dress coat and his tuxedo and spats and wants to. <laughs> and uh, it just becomes more, it becomes harder and harder as the day goes on. <laughs> That'd be a, a cool campaign promise. You know, I promise that I will meditate every day throughout my presidency. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, uh, your requirement. Good. I also love how, like, why is the devil so well dressed? I guess I know the answer to that. <laughs> it's like he's a slick fella, tuxedo and spats, because and... <laughs> he has to hobnob with the elites all day, man. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's yeah. constantly eating with Rockefellers. Yeah, I I don't think he does the trouser <laughs> pants anymore because he's just doing Zoom calls like this. He only he's Don- the- yeah, he's Donald Ducking just like me. <laughs> the business <mullet laughs> the shirt, is- but no pants at all. <laughs> are you not? You're not? Are you not wearing pants? That's why I'm Donald Ducking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Eisenstein then kind of uh, talks about sort of he wrote an essay last year about uh, the America that almost was and and could still be where he talks about sort of envisioning this uh, timeline. And uh, it, it's it's funny, he ended up, you know, working with RFK Jr. because the essay is mostly about, uh, you know, JFK and subsequent assassinations and stuff all around that time period. Um, and so he talks a bit about that. JFK wanted to support independence movements around the world. He was an anti-imperialist and wanted peace with the Soviet Union and to scale down the industri- military industrial complex and imagine all of that wealth that hadn't been devoted toward war, Johnson's war on poverty could have succeeded. We would be living in a completely different, if we hadn't been trying to assert dominance over the world by violence for 60 years, and had turned all of that resource toward the healing and, and flourishing of America, imagine where we would be right now. And, and that timeline was cut short on November 22nd, 1963. And then following that, the assassinations of RFK and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X in that period. And I feel like maybe that timeline hasn't died. Maybe we can pick up that thread. And it's so significant that a Kennedy just so happens to be in a position to do that. It's one of the uh, synchronicities that speak to or speak from a larger organizing intelligence in the world picking up that thread huh Mm -hmm. i like it imagine if rfk jr was like what happened on that day (laughs) 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 yeah um it's very interesting and there's a lot of talk about jfk assassination again uh lately and yeah you know, I I know you listen to No Agenda, so I'm sure you've been hearing them talking. About- well, they've been talking about how the mafia did it, and my response to that yeah. is the mafia and the CIA have been the same thing for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree completely. Uh, just different faces of, you know, like why wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't again? You have we talk about pie? why are they mutually exclusive? Yeah, right. Going back to uh, it's all organized dinosaur. crime. Yeah. Yeah, it's all organized crime. It's just, you know, one of it is like the face, the brand of organized crime, and the other is like the admin. Well, it really is like <laughs> a if you can't beat them, join them kind of thing, too. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. why don't we work together? Like, these guys are pros at the racket. Mm-hmm. Let's approach them 
for a mutually beneficial deal, right? I got a couple. And there's also the thread where you know intelligence was deeply embedded in Catholicism for like a long time too, and so there's another end there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so RFK Jr. continues this uh, sort of conversation. My uncle comes to the office and has a three-year hand-to-hand combat with his military brass and his intelligence apparatus to keep us out of war, which he successfully does. And he, my uncle, you know, a week before he dies, signs the national security order, getting out, ordering all 16,000 troops out of Vietnam. They're going to combat troops. He wouldn't put in the combat troops. They wanted him to put in 250,000. He sent 16,000 military advisors and said, it's their fight. And if they can't win it, it's, <laughs> it's not our fight. But immediately after he died, Johnson revoked that order and then sent, you know, after the Tonkin Gulf incident a year later, sent the 250,000, ultimately 500,000 over and 56,000 will never return, including my cousin, George Skakel. Yeah, I mean, yep. yep. <laughs> it's, it's like so self-explanatory. Man, that worked out so well for the military-industrial complex. I can't believe that coincidence. Wow, my, fav- my favorite part is that he sent uh, he sent the advisors. He's like, well, if they can't, it's their war. They can figure it out. <laughs> Just picture yeah. all these like pencil-pushing advisors who don't. They're not in service. They're not like on the front lines. Um, do you ever? What kind of like how in Ukraine we're just sending advisors oh. to train them on how to, you know, right proxies. Right. Uh, what is the line from? I'm sure back in the day when you were a little more angry, you listened to um, these. Oh my god, I'm blanking the name. It's from the song BYOB, though. Uh, why don't presidents fight the war? Why do they always send the poor? Uh, it's one of the main lines of it. I can't believe I am, yeah, that's I don't know head. it, but it's a yeah. Uh yeah, they're I think they're Serbian guys. Wow, I listened to a ton of that. Is uh, it um System of a Down? Yes, thank you. Yes, yeah, I think they're Armenian. I oh that's it. It is Armenian. Yeah, and I had to. I I think I blocked them out because one time we had like a fourteen hour road trip home, and I was the only one driving. And by the end, I was just like, I had drank so much coffee and I was smoking cigarettes and I was just listening to that as loud as possible to keep my wits about me. <laughs> and now I can't really hear a system without thinking feeling of a little nauseous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Feeling like cigarette pukes coming or something. It's like a situational memory. Yeah. Yeah. It just goes right back there. So that, yeah, that killed that for me in a big way. Um, so, um, hey, I also are... want to say I have until um, five. So that's, Three, that's 36 minutes. Okay, let's keep kicking then. Yeah. You know, that was another trauma that that pushed us down the road to the military-industrial complex. And then, you know, the last big trauma was um, was 9-11, which kind of sealed the deal and turned America into a uh, surveillance state at home and, you know, an imperial state abroad of, of constant, unending, forever wars. So I was recently listening to a conversation um, between, um, who was it? It was Joseph P. Farrell. I can't remember which podcast he was on. But talk. I want to clip some of that stuff for the next time we talk because that's some mm-hmm. good, some good, like, maybe brown level, nice. but also, like, makes good sense. Um, I like it. 
Yeah. It's my favorite. It's my favorite kind of brown. About how 9-11 was this ritual that like, and they were talking about how like it like broke time, basically. Like Oh yeah, it's it's kind of a it almost have a has a Tower Babel yes. kind of vibe to it as well. And it's chaos. And this is leading right into the next little thing that I wanted to uh to touch on cool quickly. So I'm gonna play this last clip of rfk jr and eisenstein um which i this again is right what we were talking about i think people are so tired of the division which has even penetrated to their families i mean are we really that different in our basic values and if not how have we been maneuvered into spending 99 percent of our energy fighting each other and almost zero percent actually changing the disastrous course of our society uh it feels almost orchestrated, all of this vitriol towards each other as part of what, what they used to call the bourbon strategy, which was the strategy, you know, they called it that during the Civil War in the South at the elite class, um, which was called the bourbons, which were like the Yankees of New England. They were the bourbon, the aristocracy kept the blacks and whites fighting each other and hating each other because it then uh, allowed them to be manipulated, allowed the, the ruling class, the elites, to basically strip mine their wealth, their assets, their rights, and while they were distracted yeah. in the battle against each other. And I feel a lot of times like that's what we, we're living in that today, that all of this, these, uh, you know, like you say, the orchestrated anger and indignation that uh, it's just part of the the daily, you know, drill that CNN is telling us that, that we need to do that at Fox News, that we need to hate the other side, and that yeah. the people who are getting at the advantage of that are the advertisers and the the upper elites. Boom, the bourbon, yeah. yeah what is it? The bourbon, method? the bourbon strategy, the bourbon strategy. It's like yeah. um, that analogy of like shaking the jar of ants. Mm. Like if you have all the the black and red ants in the jar, they're not going to mess with each other. But then you shake it, they'll go to yeah. war. They'll Who's to war. shaking the jar? All right. So since we're talking about Kennedy and we are in kind of a hoo ha episode here, I thought I would do a callback to one of my really really old conspiracy books that I had, uh, and it was just this little little bit on. Do you, have you heard about the all the sinks uh, between the Kennedy and Lincoln? yes yes so i i wrote out uh, 15 of them because i thought you know i'm sure lots of these have been debunked but you know whatever they can snopes us all they want so <laughs> this is who ha yeah. right snopes Keep it in is mind. now an arm of the <laughs> of the narrative management management class yes right uh so here are some of the uh the sinks between kennedy and lincoln so they had they both had seven letter names uh, they both had celebrated debates instrumental in their political fortunes, the Lincoln-Douglas and the Kennedy-Nixon debates. Uh, one was elected in 1860. The other was elected in 1960. Both were vilified for their efforts to bring civil rights to the blacks. Each reluctantly uh, was reluctantly mired in a divisive war, uh, one in the Civil War and one in Vietnam. Both had premonitions of their own deaths. Uh, Lincoln said, I had a dream of a black coffin and it was mine. And Kennedy said, if someone wanted to get me, they could. Uh, Lincoln ignored the advice of his secretary who told him not to go to the Ford Theater. Her name was Kennedy. 
Kennedy ignored the advice of his secretary who told him not to go to Texas. Her name was Lincoln. Lincoln was assassinated in Ford Theater. Kennedy was assassinated in a Lincoln limousine made by Ford. Both were despised by the South and their accuser, accused killers were Southerners. Uh, both were shot in the head while seated next to their wives. Both assassins had 15 letter names. Both assassins were murdered abruptly before trial could happen. Booth and Oswald were born 100 years apart, 1839 and 1939. I doubt the date is the same, though. Both presidents were succeeded by vice presidents named Johnson. And both Johnson presidents were born 100 years apart, 1808 and 1908. Uh, Lincoln was the first assassinated and Kennedy was the last question mark. <laughs> so is this a case of history repeating or rhyming? Is this or is this the killing of the king ritual? Aha! That so okay, many people often talk about. Yes, well, and that was my first uh, sort of... <laughs> most people talk about their first time they hear about the killing of the king rituals when they're going into uh, JFK stuff. And I collected a, sh a couple short clips of this. Because, oh, very good. Very good. Uh, yes, it's important. Um, I love how organic this is all. Yeah, nice. Oh, the king. Sorry. Uh, this is uh, Dr. Matthew Raphael Johnson on Noland Knows. And he, he kind of breaks down the killing of the king ritual and uh, listen to a couple of these clips and then I might elaborate a little. Ritual is the means whereby elites working under the crown, when they sense any weakness in the father figure, uh, weaken him further and eventually kill him, taking over, trying to take some of that authority that he has to themselves and rule the country as some kind of a uh, oligarchic um, triumvirate. I have a couple follow-ups I'm just going to play before we comment, okay? Yeah. It's a destruction of the ruling figure. It's destruction of unity. It's a destruction of Logos, uh, Christ himself. The Pharisees demanded the Romans uh, uh, kill Christ um, because murdering him, they would continue in their power, their authority, and their wealth. All forms of this ritual partake in the initial murder of, of the killing of God. You take the king's power and you know divide that up amongst those who've uh, risen up in rebellion. Okay, And then, I, which I think this is... Um very important part of the the ritual which is the replacing so it's like a usurping of the existing energy um so not only do they take the king but they try and replace the king with something where they can take the energy that the king had and use it for their own because all republics develop with the murder of the king whether it be the glorious revolution in britain the russian revolution or the french revolution and dozens of others the first thing they do is murder the monarch and put themselves in his place. But they never really can have it. They don't have the, the mystique of a monarch. They don't have the loyalty that a monarch has. So generally what they have to do is hide behind something. So in Florence, they had to hide behind the old republic, the, the, old, the old constitution, even though they ran everything from, um, from behind the scenes. Um, the Russians, of course, hid behind the working class. Um, they... Um, uh, the British hid behind the will of the people, which was, you know, Parliament's uh, slogan. I think the first time that was ever uttered. Um, revolutionary ideology somehow is supposed to um, take the place of, of the crown. And they try to promote their own heroes and, and martyrs, things like the, um, the, the Lady Liberty and these kind of things that are trying to 
not only replaced the role of the of the king, but the role of, of religion as well. And those two are very are very close. And so it all comes back to King Arthur and Avalon, <laughs> Kennedy being uh, Camelot, the idea of Camelot. Yeah, that was the thing with him. And then, um, well, I mean, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and RFK, and it was all around the same time period. And think about how co-opted um, like black rights and stuff. Like It's like the, the, when they talk about killing the king and then trying to usurp the energy and stick in their own like like a puppet like a fake king to kind yes. of go in there to kind um, of siphon off the divine right mm-hmm. and it comes back to what we we're talking about where it's all this like trying to use mass amounts of or the the culminated energy of the masses for different things whether it be fear or whether it be love um, but there's, he has two really interesting things he says, uh, about the, the killing of the King ritual, which makes me, it, it, at the end of it, I was like, God, it, it's not even just the, the King. There's different ways that this is being done. Well, the killing of the King is designed to destroy unity and create chaos. From chaos comes suggestibility and from suggestibility comes the ability of these people to remake society, however they see fit. And, um. It's the idea, it's, it's a Judaic notion in the Kabbalah of the unself, this formless matter uh, that can be created into anything. Um, it's the summoning of suggestibility. Uh, it creates confusion. Okay, this is really interesting now, especially based on what we were talking about with right. the invocatio being taken to an individual level, because what Christ, the magic that Christ was doing, in my opinion, was to confer kingship to everyone. Mm-hmm. You have Christ within you. The kingdom of heaven is within you. So the killing of the king ritual is actually also trying to kill Christ in you, mm-hmm. your sovereignty, which is a and big part of magic too, right? Is the, the and idea then that you replace the that with something else. Yeah, a puppet. Oh, wow. Puppet. This is very yeah. interesting. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. And so this is the last uh, quote I pulled from this one, and it's, uh, chaos is essential. And creating that chaos is essential. And this is what we're, this is what we're talking about. Here. This is where revolution comes from. This is what the killing of the king ritual is meant to summon. It never quite works out because it is so extremely unstable. Mm. Uh, and even in America, the president is treated very much like a monarch. He is a mystic figure. He's responsible for people's well-being. He's responsible for the state of the economy. He's responsible for the state of the world. He is uh, so mystified beyond belief. So it used to be a very limited, um, really uninteresting role in you know the constitution, the, the uh, colonial era. And so people have this desire to personalize power, to personalize their their state of life. Some leader is supposed to be able to take care of them, mm-hmm. and this happens all the time. The American presidency is is a curious example. So that's, you know, destroying that um, is a way for an oligarchy to take power. It's never stable. It's revolutionary by its definition. And usually some Napoleon figure uh, comes around and fixes it to some extent. But the old society is gone, at least in the short term. There's so many layers to, to that one. Yeah. <clears throat> I love uh, <laughs> when, he says when he talks about the, the the role of the president actually used to be really mundane it's i just picture someone after the civil war be like you want to grow up to be the president son get to be like 
fuck no, that's boring. You used to be able to just like walk up to the White House and knock on the door and like talk to him. And then he's just doing paperwork. Huh? Yeah, yeah. come in. Anything to give me a break from this boring, this boring mundane shit. stuff I'm doing. Uh, but now he's a mystical, a mystical figure, which is what yeah. they've you know built it into. And it is kind of touches on the egregore and it touches on the homunculus. It touches on like a lot of the things that we were talking about. But doesn't this also sound like the great reset bull crap where it's like chaos is essential in for the remaking this whole killing of the king ritual. Everything he's laying out about this is like, this is exactly what the, the great reset garbage is all about, but they're trying they're having difficulty i think because there is no unified king that they can just steal that power from and so they've been trying to keep stealing and keep replacing and it's not yeah it's a self-defeating um tactic because they it's like you're trying to steal the power of god but you Mm -hmm. but you already actually you fucked that because no one says it, it never works yeah, it never works. Like it never works. It's unstable. They've already kind of diminished that, and this is like I think an unintended effect that's going that is actually going to have weirder and more far-reaching consequences. But like diminishing the idea, the role of God mm-hmm. in general. You know what I mean? Like people are separated completely from spirit. So like that's a vacancy. Um, so yeah. if you're trying to steal that power, you're not going to be able to do it because it's a vacancy already. Like, and so what was going to fill that? I don't know, man. Like some Lovecraftian elder beings or something. You know what I mean? It, who knows, right? It's yeah. it, <laughs> um, all we really are certain of is that there is mass amounts of energy being produced that is the. the we're the real resource yeah and and like everything we're pumping out all the time and everything we're emoting is the real resource it, it that's yeah. monsters emojis inc. oh my god that's yeah that's monsters inc right? oh it is monsters inc. It, it, monsters totally inc. Is. it's david ike i remember saying that at one point like years ago and he was like going off about it and it's totally true monsters inc is they they're interdimensional things that come to our dimension to use our fear as power we actually have much stronger power, which is joy. Yeah. Right. But they can't, for whatever reason, they can't use that and they want to suppress it because the fear is what they really want. Right. There's always the Disney spin. And what a wonderful turn of events that actually leads me perfectly into this next segment here, um, which I've been wanting to talk to you about. Cause I'm like, I just want to talk to someone else about this and be like, what the heck? So um, there is yet another doctor because we had john michael greer right not to be confused with dr stephen greer who uh is the bodybuilding meditation guy who's like one of the ufologist gurus now and he's got a bunch of movies out unacknowledged and serious and so they got another new one coming out you can meditate with him for five thousand dollars yes that is a thing that is a thing so i wanted to talk to you about the ce5 protocols and so i'm just gonna set this up with first a definition of what the different ce's now we're headed to brown town close encounters we're getting to brown town after this one where you have to make your decision if you want to end uh with like wtf that gives you goosebumps or wtf that makes you kind of be like 
like Laffy? So a close encounter of the first kind is when an object is seen within a reasonable distance where you can actually see the structure of it. A close encounter of the second kind is when there's some physical evidence that is left, like it lands, it leaves evidence, like the Bentwaters case in England, or a radar, where it's on radar, like you saw, where there's some clear physical evidence that is resulting. Everyone knows what close encounter the third kind is from the Steven Spielberg movie, is when there is a encounter with an actual uh, extraterrestrial biological entity, an EBE. A close encounter of the fourth kind is when someone has an experience where they are uh, taken on board one of these craft. And then a close encounter of the fifth kind is when humans, instead of these being a pa- those other four are passive events, a close encounter of the fifth kind is when humans initiate the communication and contact un- under a mutual conditions. Um, when I thought so that's what a the, close fifth kind the fifth kind was fucking. Did I just watch too much Cinemax late night? Um, no, that's that's the sixth kind. Oh, okay. Sorry. Damn. <laughs> that's a that's a extremely close close encounter. They're ECEs. It's different. Okay. Good. Glad that we. That, I'm glad that the someone's asking the important questions and making the important classifications. What what are the classifications for rounding the bases with an with an ET? <laughs> okay. So I don't know. But we need to come up with them. Here's him discussing uh, when he was on a mothership and they were downloading the protocols into his brain. So in that experience, when I was on this object, we I did this meditative process with these beings and created these close encounters of the fifth kind protocols. And I didn't do anything with it uh, uh, publicly for many, many years. That was in 73. I didn't emerge do anything public with this until the early nineties. But when the money was good, what I did do <laughs> is I began to experiment with it. And every time I'd experiment with it, uh, where, where I was up, up, up in the mountains of North Carolina, one of these objects would appear. And I kind of got a little bit, I said, you know, I don't think I should be doing this unless I have a better reason. So I stopped. Money. Yeah. That's a good reason. <laughs> Dude, here's my problem. Here's my problem with this. You can do this shit all the time. Like, yeah. Dr. Stephen McGreer is not special. Nope. You can go meditate with beings from another dimension right now. Okay. For Hang free. on. Hold, hold that thought. Okay. I wanna, I'm going to play this last clip of him, and then I want to I look at these protocols with you quickly because I want to know what you think this sounds like. Okay. A friend of mine who was with me then, we were 19 years old, maybe had turned 20, um, very young. And this object appears and descends towards us. And she goes, Steve, what did you do? Did you contact? I said, yes. And of course, she's now freaking out, frankly. I go, Marion, relax. They're fine. They're just, you know. But so that happened. Also, that'll be $5,000, Marion. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So like going through site after site after site, they're like, the actual protocols and I, I saw the movie and I remember watching this with my wife and we were like, what, what the hell? Um, because when you go into the description of this, there's the five steps for this. Oh, first off, I feel like this is very important. Um, these beings do not come from any planet as we use the word, but from an etheric planet, which interpenetrates with our own and is not perceptible to us. The region from which they come is not the astral plane, but corresponds to the locus and talus. Students of esoteric matters will understand these terms. So it's 
spirits interdimensional yeah spirits kind of thing right so the first one is locate designate an appropriate spot for your ce5 experience find a quiet or remote spot uh, in your home or outdoors Uh, night is preferable uh, because you want to see starships right Um, if you're doing it indoors walk outside and look up when you feel compelled to two is prepare yourself for the meditation so once you designate your spot in a group uh, if in a group outdoors, place camping and lawn chairs in a circle and sit facing each other. If at night, be sure to wear warm clothes. Like that's, a, yeah, okay. Uh, have a flashlight handy. Now they're just giving you basic uh, precautionary things. And then they say when you're meditating, uh, you can prepare for meditation with breathing exercises, playing music, singing bowls, chanting, playing a pre-recorded meditation and other techniques. At this point, you may also state intentions as well or introduce yourselves to each other. Uh, most highly advanced non-human beings are telepathic, you see. So, you know, they can also feel your intentions. So staying heart-centered and sincere throughout is the key. And then step three is meditation, stating your intentions outwardly or inwardly. So it's like a meditation, 20 minutes, guided meditation or meditation in uh, silence. You got to remove thoughts and worries of your day and focus on the target. Um your thoughts should be centered on the one thing, such as your heart chakra, love, peace, calm, joy, cosmic expansion, etc. And the mood should be upbeat, happy, joyous, and peaceful. Okay. Okay. There you go. There's only two more. I'm ready, but go ahead. Okay. So step four, focusing on your heart center, mentally project your peaceful intentions and invitation out into the con- cosmos. This is the one where I kept trying to find the wording because in the movie, the invitation was really highlighted that you needed to invite them to you. So after your meditation, you're focusing and then project your intentions of friendship and love and invite them to you. Tell them where your location is uh, and project your intentions to them uh, that you want to have an experience with them. And then step five is scan the skies for ET crafts and possible communications and stuff after. So So this is just, this is an intention. Yeah. And it, it costs five thousand dollars. It costs five if you do it with Stephen Greer, <laughs> Doctor Stephen Greer. Yeah, so it's just a basic intention or a guided meditation or like a journey. It's all. It's just. It's just like the basics of of a magical. Mm-hmm. It, it's is doesn't it just kind of this is like basic spirit contact. Yeah. Kind of work. Right? Yeah, yeah. But you notice what's not. In any of that, which is something that you would do in your normal spirit contact work, is, is any sort um, of... like a like a cleansing mm-hmm. of the area, like There's or a acknowledgement no, of the land. Nothing about protection. Yeah, nothing, anything like that. It's all about going there. the The most protective thing they put in there is try and stay happy yeah. and positive. And then the emphasis when I know when we watched the movie, the emphasis on the the inviting it to you. And uh, I swear to God, in the film, they actually use the the words like "invite them into you" because this is like a mm. you know a psychic thing. And we finish it. And I was like, that sounds like a really bad idea. Like I'm yeah. gonna go out into an isolated field and meditate and invite whatever it is that I threw a dart at psychically in the dark. How to be possessed? To, to come into how to be possessed. For five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it sure worked. Whatever works, right? 
So we're we're in the alien territory now. We're getting really into the hoo-ha. Would you like to end with something a little more funny or something a little more like what the f- actual fuck? I'm going what the, I'm going what the fuck. Okay, so let's go to this next one. Because I only did this because my wife asked me about this the other day and I was like, you're you're kidding, right? Um <clears throat> so this is a whole thing. He said all the lights were off except the living room. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh some of these clips are from uh a podcast called strange familiars uh and that's i'll just play probably one of them i think it's a good podcast. A bunch. they're all the same room late it, is. it was very late probably well after 11 30 p.m and suddenly something moving in the kitchen caught his attention out of the corner of his eye he looked into the kitchen doorway and slowly and in a non-threatening way a man comes out of the darkness and into the dining room my brother stared at him for about a solid 15 seconds and then the man vanished he described him to me as being about six feet tall, medium build, about 29 or 30 years old, reddish brown hair, a matching color, gruffy beard and mustache. He also told me he was wearing a red and black checkered plaid long sleeve dress shirt and pants that he didn't get enough time to focus on. Even back then, he told me, well, he looked like your typical lumberjack. Okay, the, so the plaid man, yes, I know it well. The flannel man? Okay, the flannel had, man, yeah. What the actual fuck? I... <laughs> I was Dude, I was like researching. I, like, I was like, are you kidding me? There's a lot of great theories about this, but my favorite one is linking that to the wild hunt because he's dressed like how a hunter would be dressed. <laughs> mm, I for me, I just went right to the the urban legends thing where it's like, you know, the urban legends being spread around to make people afraid of of different areas. And yeah. I was just like, so is it just that everyone's afraid of work? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Be afraid of the working class. Like like all the all our Gen Zs and stuff are just like frightened to death of anything that shows up with work pants and looks like see in Canada, <laughs> this is someone wearing flannel and jeans is pretty fucking normal. <laughs> we see so it's it just a guy. <laughs> it's just, it's a, just guy. a Canadian guy. Right. Uh <laughs> okay, this next one I think is because he appears in dreams. He appears at people. Yeah. I had a he hovers he, over people's beds, and, and just he's not generally always, acts kind of. Some of them make it sound like he's like sneering, like smiling, creepy, like in the Buffy where the gentlemen have those big, kind of like the big hat smiles. Man. Yeah, well, they have Hat Man, they have Goat Man, they have all of these things. Uh, so I'm gonna play this this one of the dream because I thought you might like this one. So I'm sleeping. And I suddenly become aware of myself standing in the middle of a road, a black paved road, no road paint, tree lined on either side, and it immediately looks like dense forest. I'm standing right in the center of this road. Think foggy, cool, you can see your breath, it's early fall on a main back road in the morning. I've been there some moments, and I'm just kind of looking around and taking stock of where I just found myself and registering that this place feels unusual. To me, that's an indicator that I didn't create this dream space. Oh, we talked about I that hear earlier, too. off to the right and ahead of me, branches snapping. So I look over just in time to see a man emerge from the forest. He looks like a lumberjack. He had a hatchet, beard, dark hair emerging from a rolled-up skull cap, and hiking boots. The and paper towels. The dream was the two-headed massive wolf <laughs> that was walking with him. So he steps completely out of the forest, this beast thing on a leash with him, and I'm staring. And then he just turns his head and looks directly at me. He said nothing. It was just a silent moment. My impression was that he was totally okay with me there. I wasn't scared. There was no mistaking that this being slash man and this beast wolf thing were intimidating or could have put a fright into someone, but that feeling wasn't aimed at me at all. I for sure had the feeling that he was very aware of me before he ever set eyes on me, 
I felt like I was in this person's space. So <clears throat> it's weird. Uh, and it, there's l- lots of people see them in dreams and there's uh, had a couple other clips here. I, I'm not going to play them all just because of time. Cause I do want to end with that other clip, but I, I I just it seems so absurd to me and it seems to overlap with just so many other like oh the dark figure things but I really started to think about it in all seriousness thinking about the tartans because we we started this whole show off with uh, mm, talking about John yeah. Michael Greer and he's he's a druid and everything and he talks about the druid roots and how they really don't know how far back they go the original druid stuff is all lost and everything and you think about tartans like Scottish and, and everything and almost like I started thinking today if it was they're just seeing it as plaid, but it's actually more like an like an energy signature and like tartans themselves. Like it, it's it feels magical. Tartans have always kind of felt magical. Yeah, it's a modernization just... of like of that image. It's like they use what's in your mind to appear to you in a way that you can understand. Appear to me in a form that is pl- that is pleasing. It's something that you say when you talk to a demon or an angel. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, and grimoire kind of conservation appear to me in a form that is pleasing you can jailbreak that as like appear to me in a form that is familiar to me that i understand yeah you know well it feels like (laughs) just like oh in the 90s i saw pearl jam and there were flannel men everywhere (laughs) (laughs) yeah scariest thing i've ever seen and they were all just staring blankly because they were and then i looked down and i had flannel around my waist and it was me the whole time the call is coming from inside the house. So, I, you know, this was just confusing and ridiculous. And I was trying to find, so, you know, pull some things for it. Thankfully, I so I turned to the place where everyone goes to find answers these days. Uh, TikTok. So oh, this Reddit user said that they had a sensor urgent. Out of nowhere, they saw a man that was eight feet tall with a red flannel shirt staring at the person. Oh, no, the working class. Oh, no, a Reddit user. The user described that... They could feel it breathing, but it wasn't moving, just menacingly grinning. Her daughter, who was downstairs, was screaming for them to come look that there was a man with the same description. What's weird is that it happened two seconds after the user said that they reported seeing the grinning flannel man. That is not just a grinning flannel man, but cryptids like Bigfoot has been reported wearing a flannel shirt. So there you have it. It's, it's, Bigfoot. Just Bigfoot. it's it's just, just bigfoot it's just bigfoot wearing flannel it's a bigfoot at a pearl jam concert he, he's chilly and he Sweet. likes grunge and <laughs> i just... know that any anything that begins with a reddit user claimed i know that i'm going to be able to believe it and that i'm going to be able to rest easy in yeah. its veracity what really sells me is the spooky you know apple music the garage band <laughs> music thrown in the background just yeah the, Ooh, <laughs> I like Sasquatch of, in flannel. I think that's cool. It's like, it's, why did someone change this child's melody on a lullaby into like a? <laughs> it's a kind a of a Teen scale. Wolf. It's got kind of a Teen Wolf feel to it, doesn't it? Like the yes. the fur coming out of the flannel. Uh, and so anyways, I I I don't even know what to do with that. So that's that's, that's good stuff. That. Yeah. All right, we got. Five minutes left. This is a six-minute clip. I'm gonna. I have to play the whole thing though because it's important. So hopefully you're okay to be a minute or so done. That's fine. Um, and this this is uh, a lost clip. And this is we're gonna end with a code brown. Like what what the hell do I even do with this thing? And this is Rush Limbaugh. Uh, it's from March fourth, oh, two 
2004. Uh, and if you don't know Rush Limbaugh, Rush Limbaugh, he died abruptly in 2021 uh, of cancer of the everything, which just suddenly appeared. But he was very vocal against COVID. Well, I mean, honestly, he was pretty right wing. He was vocal against, you know, gay rights and, you know, uh, racism and and all sorts of things all over the mark. But he, he's one of those people that like, you know, a lot of time was a stooge, but he was kind of like a strange precursor to Alex Jones. So probably still, you know. Yeah, he was one of those radio voices. Yeah. So this was a clip. He went on this weird rant. And after a couple of days after it aired, they pulled it from his own archives off of his thing. So it's like really hard to track down this clip anymore. And it's just, it's just so bizarre that it's like, I don't even, I'm not even sure what to do with this. And so that's where, that's what Code Brown is for me. That's if, when you hear it and you're like, I don't even know how to begin to process this information. Here we go. Code, weep, weep, weep. Code Brown. Sweet. As I mentioned recently, uh, ladies and gentlemen, after reviewing data from one of the Mars rovers, NASA, big press conference the other day, concluded that Mars was once drenched with enough water to support life in a good, habitable environment. And despite, I mean, this is an incredible discovery, and NASA still had to go out there and say that there's no proof that life existed. All they said was that uh, conditions were there for there to be life. But this is not all NASA said, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there's a lot that is not being discussed here. As a powerful, influential member of the media, I know more than you do. Uh, it's not condescending. This. <laughs> I have seen a highly classified report that has not been released publicly, and it probably won't be unless you consider my talking about it here to be releasing it publicly. It's top secret report, codenamed the Gore Report. It was prepared by scientists from um, Area 52 in New Mexico. They I didn't analyzed know about the Mars data. <laughs> yeah. And there are some findings in this report, and I can understand why they don't want to release this, but I, I want to, and I don't know it all, but I want to pass off what some of the Gore report says. There was life on Mars. That's what NASA is not being upfront about. There was life up there. Everybody knows it. We can't be the only people occupying the universe. It's, it's, it's impossible. Who do we think we are? We're the only people God created? Eh, sorry, for those of you who don't believe in God, eh, only people who evolved from apes? So uh, it's clear that there was life elsewhere, and now that you know, NASA's kind of let the cat out of the bag, if there were habitable conditions up there, we know there was life there. Um, in fact, they found some DNA evidence up there that, that, that compares... Uh, favorably to members of the Skull and Bones Society here on Earth. These people were highly industrialized, the, the Martians. Uh, they were technologically superior, and they were very arrogant people. And they thought that the power and the force of their existence was all that was needed to sustain them. And they, they didn't care a whit about conservation. They didn't care a whit about preserving anything. They got rid of everything that was pristine. They, in fact, they 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 used the internal combustion engine. Uh, they were globalists. They're, you know, they got rid of all the countries on that planet, and they had just one giant society. And the, the powerful, rich, just absorbed everything they needed from the best parts of the planet, used it for themselves, and everybody basically suffered until everybody died out. Because what happened was, there were no checks and balances. 
probably, I don't know this, there probably wasn't any campaign finance reform to restrict the corruption in their elective circumstances there. And so special interest groups and, and uh, multinationals uh, who, you know, escape taxes by, you know, forming offshore accounts. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no uh, coincidence in the fact that they found water, lots of water, where uh, the habitable conditions were, because it, it dovetails with what's in the report about some of these multinationals abandoning their own countries and locating offshore for all of the nefarious reasons. They had, they had rainforests. You're not hearing about this. They had ancient rainforests. They had jungles. They had so much oil and gas. They had reserves out the wazoo. They, in fact, one of the things they found on Mars is that there are still, it's possible that there's still some there, tiny little amounts. Um, but it's clear. I mean, you saw the pictures from Mars. I saw the skeletons. At least I saw the fossils of the skeletons. There were people there. or There were beings there. Um, but you, it looked like Pompeii. They looked like these people all died, huddled together, uh, and they were just swarmed in, in an instant. You know, they were they were one day there and then and then and then gone. Fucking globalists, um, man. So many people living close together. It has to have been uh, the result of urban sprawl. Nobody had any space. Nobody had any room. And you could tell it. I, I saw it from the pictures that they that they released. It's it's clear, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mars. Was once um, it was it was once the jewel of the solar system, and it was raped. Mars was raped. This is what NASA knows. This is what the Gore report says. Mars was raped by robber barons. Capitalism, dependence on combustible engines, led to global warming. The ecosystem that sustained everybody was destroyed. That's why the water they found is at the equator area. The ice caps melted. Exactly what's happening here, folks. Exactly what's happening here. These people were advanced. Not everybody on Mars died. This is what's fascinating about this report. Not everybody on Mars died. Some were able to flee. Some were able to get off the planet. This is what they can't afford to release. UFOs, yep. All these sightings. All of these blinking lights, all these unexplained things, they're real. That's why they're calling this Area 52. Those are Martians escaping the destruction. It goes way back, I mean, before we were alive, and these UFOs have been happening all over. It may well be that the bright star that guided the three wise men was a UFO. Tax cuts absolutely were a factor. That's what the offshore thing was all about. That's, that's, yeah, of course tax cuts were a factor. But the elites got off. The elites were able to travel in space. The elite, there weren't very many of them, but they were able to get off. They fled the planet in time. The stunning thing about the Mars report, the Gore report, is that they're here. These people that destroyed Mars are here. They are on Earth, folks. They are in America. They work at Halliburton. They oh, worked shit. Dick Cheney? at Enron. <laughs> they worked at WorldCom. They're at Boeing. <laughs> they came to America, my friends. And the Gore report clearly illustrates they have not learned a thing from their experiences on Mars. Okay, so like... <laughs> okay, first off, I want to say Rush Limbaugh 
did not kill himself. <laughs> oh, wait. He died of cancer. I mean, no, he died of yeah, cancer. But, but he yeah. didn't. Oh, he would have been so vocal about He was already vocal about the COVID stuff. He just called it like the cold, the common cold and, and stuff. But dude, but he, I mean, it sounds like a bit of a drunken rant, which is kind of <laughs> why I like it too, because it sort of just sounds like someone hammered in a bar going off about hoo ha, which I love. <laughs> yeah. I think some of that stuff is totally true. Like, um, I mean, I think the, online they, the okay, they try and claim that he was making fun of, Al Gore, but then it got pulled and buried. Yeah, and it, nothing, nothing makes you think that there was a fire more than like, you know, it being completely, completely extinguished. Well, like there is like a radioactive weapons, like a nuclear weapon signature on Mars, right? Mm-hmm. And there, I think that there probably was life there. So it's mm-hmm. interesting, you know, because it is kind of pulling a thread of something that is kind of covered up you know and the fact that hit that this rant was hidden is kind of interesting right it does and it plays into um the sort of blue beam the uh Gigi young talks about this a lot she talks about the the birth of the um the new religion which is the the religion of aliens made us and they'll they're gonna come yeah. back and um, diana like, Pasolka they'll take talks care of that. us they're gonna solve all of our problems and they're going to take care of us because they're better than us and they know how that we should live. And she knocks on her whole thing. She's just like, you know, you're divine. You are divine. Everything we're doing here is divinity. And uh, this is like inorganic timeline, transhumanist bull crap. And you don't need anyone to come save you. No, it's a new religion. They're going to be feeding you. So anyways, I thought that that would be a wonderful weirdo clip to end everything off on it that's some good brown find. level hoo-ha yeah it's gonna be hard to find some of the old brown stuff because i don't have a vhs player anymore <laughs> yeah that stuff gets memory hold too <laughs> yeah yeah big time um well matt thank you so, so much for coming on and doing these clips man this has been great i really yeah, enjoyed it it was a lot of fun um i we probably could have gone for another while still but having yeah. that that time crunch actually helped out a bit. Are you ready to, you want me to play out? Yeah, play us out. All right. Peace out, Nightbirds. Mm-hmm.